purple get ready to roll indeed we are getting closer and closer to the beginning of the 2021 season and college and Kimball is going to get you ready for some Kansas state wildcat football. Thank you for tuning into us, wherever you are listening, whenever you are listening, we certainly appreciate it. I am your host, Jeff Burkhardt joined as always by Clint Wilson, better known as the K state fan Two on Twitter. He's going to be cranking out all sorts of video content, getting everybody jazzed up and ready to go for some K state football this, this fall. So definitely keep an eye on him and give him a follow on Twitter. Also joining us, the other two partners in crime here, Alex Speth and Justin Nutter. Guys, hard to believe it here. Uh, Made it through the Snyder 2-0 retrospective. Hard to believe 10 seasons. We went through that so quickly. Just felt like we started that the other day. But man, we're we're looking down the barrel of 2021. Has it hit anybody yet that we're almost about to have football? Yeah, it's crazy. You know, long summer after that COVID year. I am ready to go. Feeling good about this team. As excited as I am, I, I have to admit it still managed to kind of sneak up on me a little bit. Um, wasn't till you know I wasn't till there was a Chiefs preseason game on my TV on Saturday that I was like, "Crap, this is here." So yeah, no. But just like Clint said, I'm ready to roll, man. Yeah, I saw the Redskins and the Patriots pop up on my TV. Like, was that a week, week and a half ago? And I was like. Holy shit, preseason's already starting. Hmm. Who are the Redskins? The Washington (laughs) football team. The Make sure you weigh in on those uh, potential replacement name options. I know they're still trying to iron that out up in D.C. Yeah, we will. Uh, I was going to say, uh, I know our folks uh, just to the north of us here in Nebraska is going to be one of the uh, the marquee names on week zero taken on Illinois. Uh, but I know Scott Frost catching a little bit of heat here uh, over the last uh, 24 hours. We're recording this on uh, Wednesday, the 18th, and uh, more or less seeing the Nebraska administration trying to throw some shade at him and get out of that buyout, but we're not here to talk about NU football and Huskers going four and eight in his third season. We're here to talk about Kansas state. So uh, looking forward to the start of 2021, Uh, lots of things you you touched on it there briefly, Clint, we had the COVID season last year. I, I, for one, as a fan was obviously, and I'm sure we all were that at that point through a very long painstaking summer that we even had football to watch in the fall and now we look forward to 2021. Ideally, you know, we're going to be seeing some full stadiums. There's a lot of things that are still up in the air and whatnot on that front. But uh, we'll see what happens as far as crowds go and everything. I, I'm, you know, everybody's saying we're right now we're tentatively expecting full capacity at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Not to say that something might not change, but hoping that continues throughout the entirety of the season now. Uh, uh, let's start off by taking a, a look back at the year that was 2020, and, and man, uh, it was such a roller coaster ride. E- e- week one, I mean, honestly, kind of set the table as well in, in the sense that Kansas State got out to the the big lead on Arkansas State. Skylar Thompson's throwing the ball all over the yard, and it looks like K State's going to run away. Uh, from the Red Wolves and win that game. And then all of a sudden, the uh, very uh, apropos based off of the way that we would see the defense perform in the latter stages of the season, defense kind of craters in the uh, in the second half and, and lets Arkansas State get a late lead and 
and come back and beat the Wildcats week one, 35 to 31. Uh, and uh, really, again, that game is such a microcosm of the entire season and what we would see that year. Lots of other external factors with that, with the the Black Lives Matter patch on uh, and and people getting irked about that. And there's a lot of things that we're not going to have to worry about as we look into 2021. But l- let's start off by asking you guys what what did you come away at, at the end of 2020 feeling about just climbing in the overall trajectory of the program? I'm not going to hold anybody to what. 2020 was i mean I'll, I'll take the good i'll take deuce vaughn exploding as a true freshman i'll take uh some of the other players showing out but just throwing away all the bad stuff yeah as angry as i was at the end of the season you know after having seven eight months to kind of stew on it it i don't know i'm pretty willing to wipe the slate clean there were so many things out of k-state's control you know you're talking about a pandemic obviously our defense is a shell of itself by the end of the year especially you lose your starting quarterback after two and a half games. You know, there was obviously all kinds of turmoil in the locker room. You know, you had the unfortunate incident with with Derek Newton. I mean, it's so many things going against us. Frankly, it's probably amazing we did as well as we did. So, yeah, I think I'm, I'm kind of willing to just turn the page on all of it. So I'm not going to try to dwell on the kind of the season that was, but I guess to answer your question after the season – there was definitely some worry about, you know, the the culture of the team. And, you know, I feel like 2020 put us in a bit of a hole. Um, just, you know, results on the field kind of hurt you in recruiting. You got a lot of players that are leaving either on their own accord or being asked to leave. And clearly there were some issues in the locker room. So um, without dwelling on kind of just the, the season that was just going forward, I thought that the coaches kind of had some some tough work to do to, you know, fill fill the roster up and try to change the culture back. Um, so, yeah, I was a little worried about that. But I think hard to say until, you know, um, the, the whistle blows and we start playing football. But it seems like they were able to to kind of build that roster back a little with some transfers and try to kind of instill a better locker room culture. And I think the, the thing that. Uh, also helps is, you know, with all that stuff going on in the locker room and outside factors and inside factors, the coaches really didn't have the face-to-face time with the players um, to to either, you know, get a sense of what was going on or to try to help steer steer players in the right direction. So that's just another level on top of the shit show that was 2020. Guys, you all hit on all the the very – significant issues that were confronted you know yes every team went through these but when you really get down to it this is a program that's still very much in in transition from the bill snyder era when you think about that just it's year two after his you know departure in 2018 so and we're confronted with some very bleak roster numbers at the end of 2018. So climbing and, and that staff and that scramble class, they're fo- focused on trying to rebuild depth and we're trying to foster relationships with high school coaches in, in the state of Kansas and beyond where there's, there's so much that that had to be done in such a short period of time there. And, and, and again, the, the 2020 or excuse me, the 20. 19 class or excuse me 2020 class that came in was was not 
great, but again, when you think about it, they really only had one full recruiting cycle after that scramble class to get things in place going into the 2020 season. So uh, I'm, I'm in the same camp as you guys in that I, I'm, I'm very much willing to look past it, but I feel like in the court of public opinion, though, they're the, the people who are going to shout the loudest at that. And we'll we'll talk a little bit as we get towards the end of the show here about what the season's going to mean to climate and company. But I, I think I, I would like to hope that our, our fans can realize the predicament that this program was put in last season. And also, like I said, just being the second year of a brand new regime, you also lose, you know, that second season, you lose Scotty Hazleton. You have, you don't have a normal spring practice. You don't have a normal fall camp. Nothing is normal. And and I would like to think that our fans take all those variables into consideration and how they evaluate climate and, and the trajectory of the program, regardless of what happens after this season. But I hope those are all taken into consideration by our fans, but I feel like we might have some people chirping pretty loud if this season goes south, but let's hope obviously that does not occur in 2021. Lots of reasons to be optimistic about this group. And that's where we're going to start off with here in our uh, first segment. We're going to look at uh, position groupings and break it down here. And we uh, we're going to go at least in our minds, what we felt like was strongest groups to weakest groups. And with that said, we're going to start off with probably the guy who's going to be looked at to deliver a lot this season and his, and his position room is, is fairly full and, and there's a lot of positive and encouraging things in this group. We're going to start with quarterback and uh, you know, there's not enough superlatives that you can say about Skylar Thompson at this point, you know, guys coming in 30 career starts and looking to bounce back. And, and what we're seeing now is being dubbed as the revenge tour here in 2021. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll start with with you, Clint. What what are what are reasonable expectations for for Skyler in terms of production, just based off of what we've seen from him in his first couple of seasons as quarterback for K State? So I like Skyler Thompson a lot, but going into a six year, I mean, I don't know if there's ever been a quarterback at K State whose just consistency has not been there, and you really just don't know exactly what you're going to get by this time. Um, you know, he's a guy who will go out and have an amazing performance and then go out and just leave you scratching your head. Like, what was that? I I do think he was going to, he was on his way to putting it together last year before the injury. And I do think he will have a very good year this year, but I'm not a hundred percent sold on that being the case. Uh, I mean, I think best case scenario, he's going to put up, you know, just shy of 3,000 uh, passing yards and uh, several hundred rushing yards and uh, lead this team to a really good season. I think he's a good leader. He's a very good quarterback. That's a borderline, maybe not NFL draft pick, but could find his way onto a roster as a practice player. Um, yeah, he he has all the tools. He just needs to put it together. And if you look at his numbers from his – and really the other thing too, when you think about it, he's truly only had one, one season in which he has been QB one from game one all the way through to game 13. And then that season in 2019, he completed just a shade under 60% of his throws through for 2,315 yards, 12 touchdowns, five interceptions averaged about eight yards an attempt. So I think 
right or wrong, I feel like a lot of people are heaping so much onto his shoulders this year. And, and I'm hoping that when, as we talk about different position groups, that we don't have to rely on Skyler for so much. Um, he, I, I think the best way to characterize him, we, we know what Skyler is at this point. He takes very good care of the ball. He's only thrown 12 interceptions in his 30 career starts. And he's at action in, uh, excuse me, he's at action overall in 35 games in his career. So we know he is, he's very cognizant of the ball and ball security. Uh, I just think based off of what I've seen from him, he still strikes me as the guy who were, were one read. And if that one reads not there, we start to panic. I, I very vividly remember being frustrated with him in the, in the Navy game. And he just doesn't seem like he's the type of quarterback that a lot of people are building him up to be. And that he, a lot of people think that this guy is an NFL draft pick. And he, you know, like you said, Clint, he very well may be, but I think he is, he is a very solid college quarterback. If he's comfortable, if he can read the defense pre-snap and know where he's going with the ball, we know, and I think everybody in the stands trusts him to go to the right place with the ball and get it to where it needs to be. I, I think that's where everybody really needs to realize that Skyler at this point, at least from what we've seen from him, is still a very much a one read. He's not going to be a guy who goes progression by cr- progression, gets the ball to the third option routinely like that. At least I, I don't feel like that's his game yet. And do you guys feel any differently about that based off of what we've seen from him? I mean, honestly, if you look at his numbers, the first couple of games of this last year, I know you talked about what he did in 2019, but like he was on track for, I mean, he was putting up some really damn good numbers those first couple of games. And I do think he had kind of taken that next step. You know, I can't necessarily, I can't narrow, excuse me. I can't necessarily say, he had gotten any better at like progressing through his reads. Um, you know, I've always kind of compared him to Alex Smith in that regard, but uh, it, I don't know. Like, I, I do think that he's poised to make that jump this year. I mean, it sounds, you know, if you, if you believe the smoke coming out of a, uh, coming out of preseason camp, you know, it sounds like he's going to have some options to get the ball too. just a matter of being able to find them. But yeah, I mean, when you're rolling with a sixth year guy back there, I mean, you got to think like, you know, if you're going to do it, if not now, when, yeah, my thoughts are, you know, I've I've been a fan of Skyler since he was in high school watching his his highlight films and he's always seemed to have, you know, all the physical capabilities and like you alluded to Jeff he it's not like he turns the ball over a lot, that's not really his problem. Um I think part of it is just even when he makes the right read, sometimes he's um overthrowing the deep ball and you know, just not putting the ball where it needs to be. But I think some of that also has to do with, you know, if you don't have great talent at receiver, then you have to be more precise with your throws because they're not going to be able to adjust to it as much. But I feel like last year was getting better. There's 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 even a few plays in my mind where he did make some, you know, late reads and made some good throws. Um, but that, you know, that's a short sample size from, from last season. So um, I hope he can especially being in the, the offense a little bit longer um, to make those progressions. I think that's part of, you know, that's part of a quarterback's problem is sometimes just a new offense. It's hard to, to get through your progressions as well. So you would hope that that consistency and that um, step forward can happen this year. And, you know, I think it does to what extent, I'm not sure, but we'll see. 
That's another element to consider too, is the continuity. Because when you think about it, he's when you're at a place for six years, you might see some turnover. And he, to that point, he has. If you think about it, came on campus, Dana Dimmel's offensive coordinator, then we transitioned to Klein and Coleman, and then new staff gets brought in with Kleiman, and and that that is one encouraging thing for me is that now we're in year three with Messingham. We should have a very comprehensive understanding of the offense so that that to me is encouraging and I do feel like we do have uh, some more weapons in wide receiver which we'll talk about that position group a little bit later on now a couple other things on the quarterback front that I have to mention uh, a lot of uh, compliments being thrown the way of Will Howard uh, putting on some some solid muscle in the offseason what do you guys make uh, of what we've heard about Will Howard, the strides that he's made? Do we feel like there is a role for him in this offense, or are we just getting a lot of lip service from Kleiman in that regard? It's uh, it's palpable at this point for sure. Like it's really hard to ignore how much, how many different people are raving about how much he's improved. Um, obviously, he had a pretty damn rough go of it last year. You know, that's that's a true freshman being thrust into a situation he really was not prepared for by no fault of his own. He had no preseason, you know, it, I mean, obviously, you know, you, you can throw every excuse in the book out there, but it's, I mean, it's true. Like the fact that he did as well as he did in hindsight is actually pretty amazing. He had, you know, he won a couple of games for us. He had us in a couple of other games. Um, obviously, you know, wasn't quite there yet. You know, he, there were still a lot of like head scratching intercept interceptions or, you know, some really, really poorly timed fumbles here and there. So like all that to be said, plenty of room to improve. So like you would hope he would take a pretty sizable step forward, but it, uh, yeah, I mean, it really does sound if, again, if you believe it, it sounds like he is night and day different. So if that's the case, I wouldn't at all be surprised if they can find a way to incorporate him into the offense this year. I felt terrible about what happened to Will Howard last year. I mean, playing a true freshman, in a year where you don't even get spring practice. I mean, he, he shouldn't have gotten any of the blame for what happened last year. I mean, the most ready, true freshman quarterback we've ever had, Josh Freeman, had a terrible first year. And, uh, I mean, to expect Will Howard to have done any better than that uh, was definitely asking too much. I, I think he's going to be a damn good quarterback in the future uh, as long as he can start throwing some tighter spirals. I think he'll be all right. <laughs> Yeah, Josh Freeman, six touchdowns, 19 interceptions as a oh. as a true freshman, and that's with NFL wide receiver Jordy Nelson, NFL wide receiver Yaman Figures. Not that I have some thoughts about Josh Freeman. Sorry, go ahead, Alex. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I, I did a deep dive of watching all the highlights from uh, from last season, and I was telling these guys earlier, you know, since this the, the Big 12 YouTube channel has – some pretty extensive highlights. It's not just scoring plays. So rewatching a lot of that, like he, I felt like he made a lot of good reads his, but just his throwing mechanics or whatever, if it was nerves, like he would throw it to the right guy. He would just mail it, you know, just, but you know, he, he was doing really well on the ground. And um, I think, uh, I think KSU fan on, on K state online actually mentioned, cause it just seems like our offense was terrible last year. But he said, aside from not being able to, you know, put finished drives in the end zone, 
that our offense was actually pretty efficient last year. So, you know, obviously the the five game losing streak and um, kind of drive stalling and some bad turnovers leave a bad taste in your mouth. But I didn't rewatching it. He wasn't quite as bad as I remember him being. Um, that being said, my goal for this season would probably be for him to not play all that much. Like, I I don't really think that I'm a big fan of a two quarterback system in this situation. You know, if Skyler's playing well and he's healthy, he probably needs to be out there. Um, unless the game is not in doubt any longer, but I do feel very confident as having him as our backup quarterback. Cause I think from kind of what we're hearing, he might be the best quarterback on the, on the roster right now, just not the most experienced guy. So definitely, yeah. it's definitely nice to have him as the backup quarterback this year as compared to last year. I'll never condone a two quarterback system. I think it was John Madden that said, if you have two quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks, but what, what would you guys think about like, you know, maybe some kind of goal line package or something, if anything, just to kind of, you know, spare Skyler those extra hits. I don't mind it as much if it's situational, but I think the whole, like, you get a drive, you get a drive, you you know, I think that's the dumbest thing a coach can no, do. No, absolutely not. I agree <laughs> with you there. If something kind of gets in a rhythm, then you kind of screw it up by, well, you've got near two drives. I got to put the other guy in now. I don't understand the concept of a Will Howard short yardage package. As many times as I watched him trip over his feet last year, and I know <laughs> I just said, you know, I expect him to get way better. And He's a long strider. He, he had several... Your, uh, runs of 40 plus yards last year but a short yardage i don't see it no that's that's a totally fair point too and skyler I, I know we want to make sure above all else that skyler stays healthy and and when you also talk about reducing hits think about he's been a pretty reliable option once we get into the money zone when we're inside the 10 and inside the five he's got 22 career rushing touchdowns and a lot of those are very heady plays on zone reads and just making sure he, he's got a he's got a knack for finding the end zone. So I, I do see the merit though in trying to work Will Howard in there. I, I I don't feel like no, we don't want to be doing a, you know, Skyler gets the first three possessions and then Will Howard gets it. Like no, not not that at all. But I think if you do want to do something in there to throw a curveball, and that's what I hope that we you know his ability to run can't really be ignored. I, I don't think defenses would scoff at it the way that they did last year. Cause it, Messingham really did exploit some folks and Will Howard was able to gash, you know, he went up the middle for against TCU for that big 70 plus yard run. He gashed Oklahoma state. He had some, he had some nice plays and he, he was actually for, for again, a guy coming in with, no spring ball, no experience whatsoever. Learn truly just learning and absorbing everything on the fly. I, I thought Will Howard ran the ball very well. And, and to that point, I, I would not mind if you rolled him out there for a series, you know, for, you know, you, you get down to like the 22 yard line. You got a couple of downs to play with. You've been moving it pretty well. Like, why not throw him in there to have him run like a fly sweep? You know, even if you're using him as as a decoy and you run a fly sweep to Phil Brooks coming around the edge or something like that. And you never know, though, the C might part because they're so concerned about a guy like Deuce Vaughn or a guy like Phillip Brooks taking an end around or Malik Knowles, whoever it may be. 
uh, I think Will Howard gives you something in that respect. And I, I think he, he does deserve a shot. Now, all that said, you gag one and cough it up at the, the 10 yard line going in, then we probably never see you again. But I've got I a, I know just for our listeners that you couldn't see it. Clint was emphatically shaking his head at that idea. <laughs> It doesn't well, bother me, man. Tyler's a damn good runner. I don't. I mean, leave him in there. No, move. yeah, and I, you know, I don't think you put him out there just for the sake of putting him out there. But I would feel considerably better about, you know, if it were required or necessary, I'd feel a lot better about it this year than I did last year. Yes. Okay, I can argue with that for sure. I got to make one more shameless plug about the quarterback position before we uh, before we move on. How do you guys feel about QB one rocking number seven this year? I'd really like to hear an extensive history about that number. <laughs> Boy, you're you're taking it to the next level there for me, Alex. Boy, if somebody had just written an, an exhaustive piece about that that particular number and its significance in the in the pantheon of Kansas State quarterbackdom, I, I would really love to just sink my teeth into that. I am sad <laughs> I didn't use the word quarterbackdom when I wrote it. Damn it, Netter! I'm getting yeah, the gold here. No, um. It's a high bar to clear, man. Like there's a lot, there's people that have expectations and now like a numbers is very immaterial to me. It, may, it means nothing to me, but I know Skylar probably did that as motive. I'm sure probably some personal motivation on his part to try and take K-State to the level that Bishop, that Klein took them to. So for, for whatever reason, he decided to make the switch Hey man, if that fuels your fire internally, if you've set personal goals to, you know, if you want to try and eclipse the, the, the 2,800 some odd yards that Bishop threw for his senior, you know, senior season. Awesome. If you want to run for more touchdowns than Colin Klein did in his final year at K-State. Awesome. Whatever personal goals you've set for yourself. And if that number change can somehow motivate you, I'm all for it. Stay tuned on that. (laughs) And uh, last thing I will say on quarterbacks before we move forward here, uh, Jake Rubley. Do we think he sees the field at any point this season? No. Uh, if we're kicking the shit out of Southern Illinois, maybe for a couple <laughs> snaps at the end of the game. Something went wrong for one of the teams playing in that game. Like really, really wrong if we're seeing Jake yep. Rubley. <laughs> I, I do love the rule now, you know, play four games and still maintain the red shirt. I really, really wish that would extend um, into bowl games, but neither here nor there. No, I, I, I'm with you guys. I, I think with Will Howard, you have a, you know, some people might disagree, but you have a, a competent backup quarterback, you know, say what you will about his production last season, but still through for, you know, completed 54% of his throws, second leading rusher on the team, averaged at just under five yards a carry. Like, I, 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 I wouldn't be thrilled, obviously, if Skyler were to get knocked out of a game for whatever reason. We will obviously want Skyler to make it through the season healthy, but I, I would feel perfectly fine letting Will Howard roll out there um, if, if, if push comes to shove. But if Rubley's in for a couple snaps against the likes of Southern Illinois or KU or whatever it ends up being, great. But I, I don't think we're going to see any really extended time. Next group we want to profile here is the offensive line. Now, talk about a, guy, a group that got off to a very rough start running the ball last year. 
Um, only managed to produce 91 yards on the ground against the likes of Arkansas State. They follow that up with just 56 against Oklahoma, and and things are are, are pretty bleak uh, as far as K-State running the ball. Now, some of that's to be attributed to trying to find a way. You know, we, we're still rolling Harry Trotter out there as your, your primary running back. Deuce Vaughn is still very much carving out his role in the offense, but uh, and there's some shuffling going on, you know, on along the line. So we're still trying to find that right combination of five. But the group eventually does uh, get its feet underneath it. And, and really, they close out the year in, in pretty solid fashion. And I know K-State did go 0-5 uh, following the 4-1 start. But the offensive line, you know, we have three 200-plus yard rushing games in the final uh Three, uh, excuse me, three out of the final five games, they rack up over 200 yards in each of those games. We start to see again Will Howard uh, making some plays, running the ball. Deuce Vaughn, obviously, even got even the likes of Harry Trotter are, are actually finding some holes. Now, we look at the guys coming back on this line. Noah Johnson, I know. Um, <laughs> uh, Connor Riley, very excited to have his guy back at center. And then also Josh Revis, Cooper Beebe, Christian Duffy, Katori Levins. Like we've got a, a bunch of names and, and guys that are coming back. We have a lot of starts coming back. Uh, K-State averaged uh, just 152 yards rushing per game last season. Do you think this group is equipped to help uh, or this year's iteration of the line. Is, are we going to eclipse that number on a week-by-week -week basis, do you guys think? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's become kind of a, a normal thing for K-State offensive lines to be kind of crappy or average early in the season and then to really gain steam at the end of the year. And, uh, you know, that carried over from Bill Snyder's teams to now uh, Climans, and I have no explanation for why that is. Um, but... Uh, you know, the way they've been raving about the offensive line, I've really gotten my hopes up and thinking, you know, from the get-go, this is going to be a good group. Um, one of the biggest question marks is uh, Taylor Podier. He came on really strong last year. At the end, people are really excited about him. I mean, he might have NFL potential, and it's looking like he's going to miss some time. I don't know if it's the entire season or just a few weeks. We'll have to wait and see on that. Um, like you said, Noah Johnson is a guy where a lot of fans don't really respect his game. He does; he's not a big strength guy. He's not going to move the pile, uh, but you know he, he's a leader there. He makes all the calls, and he's pretty good when you get him outside the tackles, going for any of those um, just pulling plays. Uh, yeah, uh, one guy you mentioned, uh, Katori Leviston. You know, he was a guy that did not look good at all at the beginning of the year, then really started making progress. And I, I've been hearing that he's making even more progress here in fall camp. So I'm looking for him to possibly take that guard spot or maybe take a tackle spot to let Cooper Beebe move inside. That'd be my ideal situation. I will say that pretty excited about this group. Um, I think, I think they're no doubt going to succeed running uh, pass or uh, sorry, rush blocking. Uh, my hope is that with our quarterback situation, you know, one of the things going back to Skyler that I think he's he's gotten some criticism on is kind of just um, pocket awareness. So I really hope that this line can can just give them give the quarter whoever's back there throwing the ball, give them as much time to throw it, let them feel comfortable out there to to get the balls to some playmakers. 
I think last year at the beginning of the year, especially. So a buddy of mine who's not a K-State fan, but follows college football noted that when Kleiman got here, he had an all senior offensive line and talked about, you know, like how awesome that was for him to walk into that. And I'm like, yeah, but there's absolutely nothing behind that for the year. You know? So I think we kind of, we kind of felt the, the, the wrath of that, you know, last year, especially early on. But the plus side to that is all of these guys got a full year under their belts. All of them are back and we've added more to that. Um, you know, we, I think about guys like, I don't know if I, if he, if his name's been said, I missed it. Like Christian Duffy's a multi-year starter at this point, you know, obviously everybody knows about Cooper BB. You got Noah Johnson who elected to come back. Um, all kinds of talent, you know, coming up the ranks. You know, you got Andrew Langang. They're talking about already taking reps with the ones as a true freshman. Um, I know the, you know, the recruiting services are super high on this John Pastore that we just got um, a commitment from. Like, I think the depth in that room right now is super exciting, and it, it's definitely something I'm looking forward to uh, to watch. I'm watching, looking forward to watching that unit take a pretty massive step forward this year, and you know, following years. Carver Willis and uh, Whit Mitchum, also two guys that I think are going to have really nice careers here that I'm really happy we have as, you know, kind of depth pieces for this year as well. And you talked about pass protection there, Clint, or excuse me, Alex, I I did want to say only 14 sacks surrendered last year, 5.7% of the plays. So the group was pretty good about protecting the quarterback. And and again, with with Skyler back there now, I, I think that, They'll do a, continue to go, do a, a great job in, in keeping him safe. We all know the reason why he got KO'd last year against Tech. Um, that, that had nothing to do with pass protection. That was a cheap shot late after the play was already done. So um, I, I am very bullish on this group. And also what, what Messingham will be able to do with this offense now to uh, once we get into running backs. I'm, I'm very excited to see what we can do because I feel like the big thing that was really holding this group back last year, again, you were so limited in, in what you could call. We, we saw so many weapons go go out. You know, Malik Knowles, as we all know, has had an injury plague career at K-State. You lose Wyking Gill uh, last season. Sebastian um, Taylor, granted, that was at the very end of the season. So you don't have a lot of, of threats or consistent and reliable threats in the wide receiver room. As far as your running backs are concerned, I think any Kansas State fan with a modicum of football intelligence knew and understood that Deuce Vaughn was the only tangible threat that you had in the running back room in 2020. He was the only guy who was going to make any opposing defensive coordinator stress on game day. To that end, we're going to need to see pretty marked improvement from all of the ancillary backs and Jacardier Wright. We've been hearing good things about him in fall camp. Joe Irvin, he's reimmersing himself, having opted out in 2020. I don't think any of us, or certainly Courtney Messingham, would be opposed to introducing another back into that mix. I think with the way that Messingham and company called the offense in 2019, they demonstrated that they want the ability to rotate. They want to have a stable of backs and not just rely on giving the ball to one guy 38 times a game, a la Daniel Thomas circa 2009-2010. Now we'll get to the running back position group breakdown a little bit later on in the pod, but I bring up the shortcomings of the skill position groups to really underscore the fact that this offensive line quietly was 
making some strides at the end of last season. K-State averaged better than 200 yards rushing per game over the final four. Backs were churning out about 5.5 yards per carry during that same time frame. Remember, all of this is occurring with a true freshman signal caller who has a very limited array of skill talent surrounding him. While I do think fans need to compartmentalize 2020, you do have to take with you into 21 the fact that the offensive line was the unit making the most significant progress by season's end. Couple that with the fact, again, you're going to have Skylar Thompson back at QB1. You have more skill talent available on the boundary at wide receiver than you have really probably at any point over the last five to six years, perhaps even longer than that. There's talent in the running back room, unproven beyond Deuce Vaughn, but there is talent there. A lot of guys getting healthy on the tight end front. I think this offensive line might be poised to be recognized as as the group that takes the biggest leap in 2021, if for no other reason than the fact that they're just going to be moving the ball more consistently and more reliably. I'll just say that I think having Deuce Vaughn is going to be a big help to the offensive line and having an experienced offensive line will obviously be a help to Deuce Vaughn. But just to have that check down back that is extremely reliable and can do big things with the short yardage, short amount of space, I should say, uh, is just going to be extremely valuable uh, and make the offensive line look pretty good, I think. I seem to remember uh, commentators talking in the early 2000s about Darren Sproles' ability to kind of disappear behind an offensive line. You know, it, it's pretty fun to be able to watch that again. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah, hopefully he they wreck many many a defense here in 2021. Now, let's uh, let's pivot and talk about a group on the defensive side of the ball, the the secondary. Now, man, 2020 was. We, we said it was a roller coaster. This group was the the cupboard was completely depleted by seasons and and not necessarily due to injuries. This was much more so due to defections. Honestly, once we got past the four and one start, it seemed like pretty much weekly we were hearing about, you know, a Will Jones is transferring out another guy's transferring out and it literally just snowballed completely out of control. So there there and there were some external factors there i don't want to cite the man's name because that's exactly what he wants to hear but there was a lot of chatter and some some cancerous personalities that had opted out that were getting in the ears of some of these guys in the secondary and making them think that the grass might be greener if they were to go into the portal or if they weren't be being given the time nor the snaps that they felt like they deserved i think all those personalities have been pretty well all those team cancers pretty well cut out of this roster I'm very excited to see what the secondary is going to bring to the table this year and I know a lot of people are anxious about this group but when you really start to think about it the way that they've also pieced together this this unit what we we, at least what we anticipate seeing as the starting four or five on the back end uh, when stand when the Stanford game rolls around you talk about Julius Brents, Jerron McPherson back there, and all Big 12 safety, Justin Gardner, Russ Yeast. And then firming up the nickel is the, the spot that a lot of people are concerned with. But there's some guys back there that we saw some flashes from, from last season. And even a guy like, you know, you talk about Amaris Brown, TJ Smith, obviously known for his propensity for the big hit, uh, Echo Boydo, another name that's out there. 
I, I really do think that this group is going to not necessarily be a no-fly zone <laughs> as far as Big 12 secondaries go, but I think this will be one of the better secondaries in the conference by season's end. Uh, did you mention Stubblefield? Did I miss that? No, yeah, he's a guy that I am looking forward to watching play. Uh, he's been going back and forth between nickelback and outside cornerback, I think. Uh, you know, he, there was some confusion when he first committed to K-State. <laughs> <laughs> he put out some stats that may not have been accurate about himself. And uh, then I think he had some paperwork that didn't go through. And so he thought he wasn't going to be able to play for K-State. But then they eventually got that all figured out. And I think people kind of... Um, you know, not soured on him, but weren't as excited because of all that. But uh, I, I think he's going to be quite the player for us, even if it's not as a starter, even if it's somebody who's just rotating in, because they're going to be doing a ton of that this year. They have, you know, bodies all across the board. It's really crazy how good of a job this coaching staff did filling up the secondary with how depleted it was in the past year. I mean, you got Echo Boido, who is someone I'm extremely high on, and he may not even be the best cornerback on the team now that they brought in Julius Brents. I think Jerron McPherson is going to be the the key to everything back there, I mean, the quarterback of the offense, the defense, sorry. And, uh, you know, I don't know much about Russ Yeast, but I've been told he's a very smart player, if nothing else. He's a coach's son. Uh, he must be fairly, fairly athletic because they're giving him time at a punt returner also. Um you know, TJ Smith is somebody I was really high on even before I knew he could hit like that. And you throw that added uh, dimension in there. And uh, this is just a group to be really excited about. I was just going to echo the sense, the sentiments of rebuilding that group. You know, at the end of the season, we were paper thin at defensive back. And even early on in the off season, they got Julius Prince and Russ yeast. But even at that point, we were still, we're needing a couple more pieces just to get that um, that depth up because, you know, a lot of the guys in that room are very young, um, some coming off of injury. And then kind of that's why the, the Stubblefield uh, saga was so intriguing is because, you know, if nothing else, a guy that's got experience who's, you know, an older experienced player just being in that room is going to be helpful just from a depth perspective and a culture's perspective. And I was pretty bummed that he looked like he wasn't going to be able to play. Um, apparently because of COVID, a lot of the transfer paperwork has been a mess across, you know, college just in general. Um, so that was a very pleasant surprise that he ended up getting cleared. And then sincere Mason as well, just being another, nice veteran depth piece in that room so just very happy and surprised that they were able to build up um, the depth and I think it's quality quality depth as well not just numbers I think they got some pretty quality players back there yeah I think my only reservation is just a lot of these guys haven't proven anything in purple so far um you know obviously you know Brent's I think kind of speaks for himself and yeast kind of speaks for himself but like the rest of these guys, I think, are kind of coming in with something to prove. So, like, I do think by season's end, I'm not going – people aren't going to be as worried about the depth there as maybe they are now. But, they, you know, a lot of these guys are going to go going to have to go out and prove it. But I think, Jeff, I, I, I'm right there with you. I'm pretty high on this group overall. And those 
two names at transfer. Russie's coming over from Louisville, uh, racked up 45 tackles in 2020, 61 the year prior. Uh, Julius Brents, uh, not as much experience in, in that sense. Uh, he, he had an injury in 2019, didn't see a lot of time in 2020, but both are penciled in as starters uh, in the secondary for this uh for this back end. So again, I I'm very excited to see this. And one guy I do feel like we do have to, to mention Jerron McPherson thrilled that he opted to come back for another year. I think this, and if you, if you didn't have his presence on the back end, I'd be a lot more concerned just not having that veteran senior guy there. Um, the other thing though, that uh, I, I think we haven't really touched on quite yet is what what are we what what's the expectation going to be now that we've 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 rebuilt and we've got the cupboard filled back up now how is this going to look and this was the thing that i I really struggled with last season i don't feel like we got a a true glimpse of what a clanderman defense looks like so i'm very anxious to see what we're going to do schematically how we're going to attack teams uh, again, this is a group that I, I think we'll start to feel more comfortable with, but we're not going to ha- maybe have that immediately because, uh, again, there's there's still so many new faces and a lot of new personalities, tendencies that guys have to learn. They have to learn how to communicate on the field and whatnot, getting the right coverages and and whatnot. So that's the one element that I, I'm, I'm anxious but also excited to see is how Klanderman schemes around his personnel here, how we see these guys attack on the back end. Uh, Again, I I think we've got a lot of athleticism back there, guys that know how to hit and Jerron McPherson, TJ Smith, I think uh, again, and and Gardner and Echo Boydo and Brents. uh, And and you've got some size to it, the corner position. That's the thing K-State's usually been plagued by historically is always having very undersized corners. But I think you've got some guys there with some length that can make things a lot more difficult for big 12 receivers. And you're not going to be consistently giving up five, six inches every time you go into a one-on-one battle. So very excited to see what this group brings to the table. And, and really truthfully, the way that things closed out last season, uh, nowhere to go, but up for, for the past defense, the, this team kind of cratered uh, as far as that goes, uh, giving up 268 yards per game against the pass. Uh, quarterbacks hitting just under 68% of their throws. So I, I think plenty of motivation out there for Van Malone's group to, and, and plenty of stats and, 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 uh, and marks to say, okay, we, we want to knock completion percentage down by X. We want to do X, you know, and force this many interceptions in the secondary. I think you've got a lot of, a lot of material out there for bullets and for the bulletin board for that secondary, very much looking forward to see what that group can do this season. Now, uh, we're going to jump back into offense, and and, and this uh, kind of underscores the overall theme of this. Again, we said we were really we're, we're rating these position groups by what we feel like is the strongest group down to the weakest group, and and running back we have coming in here uh, as the fourth overall, and I, I think the the main reason for that it, it certainly has nothing to do with Deuce Vaughn. He he was second in all purpose yardage in the Big Twelve last year just wrecked teams when he got the ball in space. But I think what everybody else is looking for right now, who else, 
who else is going to step up in this in this running back room? Do you guys have a lean on who do you think is going to get the lion's share of the carries for running back two? What's everybody feeling on that front? Well, we've always been waiting for Jacardia Wright to step up and do his thing, and we have been hearing good things about him from the coaching staff this offseason, but I don't know if there's anybody who's gotten more praise than Joe Irvin. I mean, just from his motor that he has going the entire time, coaches have said that he plays the fastest of anyone out there on the field. Um, you know, you know what can you say about Deuce Vaughn as the starter that hasn't already been said? The guy is an absolute stud. Um, but having uh, Joe Irvin and Jacardia right back there, I think will be um, a pretty good tandem this year. I think the biggest thing, probably half the battle with Irvin was getting him back. You know, when he when he elected to opt out, that's he's a long way from home. You know, South, South Carolina is a long way away. Um, and it's my understanding, you know, f- you know, just kind of reading the message boards. It sounds like it was actually a chore to get him back on campus. And uh, sounds like he's one that's really kind of benefited from uh, the new strength coach, Tremaine Carroll. I mean, you know, that's that's all the talk about Irvin right now is like how much faster he's playing. You know, he may not be the fastest guy in the team, but like how much faster he's playing in general. So I think he's definitely the clear, clear uh, number two option behind Deuce. And then, I mean, like Clint just alluded to, I definitely hope to see a pretty considerable step forward for Jacardier Wright. I know like a lot of Kleiman's success was based on, you know, uh, uh, rotating running backs in. So um, at, at North Dakota State, you know, I know that they would rotate three, four backs in. Uh, each season. So it's like, you definitely like to see them replicate that success here. And I think Wright's going to be pretty paramount to making that happen. I'm a big fan of Jacardier Wright. Um, I ran into a dude at the Tulip Festival in Wamigo a couple of years ago who saw my K-State hoodie. And he's like, hey, you're a K-State fan. I'm like, yeah, we're we're in Wamigo. Why is that a surprise? And he's like, well, I'm I'm in town for the Tulip Festival. I'm from Illinois. And I used to coach a guy named Jacardier Wright in like peewee football. So I was like, oh, okay. So that was a nice little encounter. I don't know why someone drives all the way here from Chicago <laughs> to the Tulip Festival. but what? <laughs> uh, Anyway, so then I was like, okay. And he was telling me about how good of a kid he was and, you know, super athletic and put up a shit ton of yards in high school in Illinois. So I was always a big fan of his. Um I feel like Joe Irvin is a guy that we hear a lot about, but we haven't really seen much of him on the field. Obviously, he didn't play at all last year. Uh, I think his freshman year, he got some carries, but maybe I think he might have gotten dinged up towards the end of the year. So it's kind of hard for me um, to because I think we've seen flashes of Jacardier Wright on the field. You know, he had a good game against Iowa State a couple years ago. Um, he's gotten some decent carries. I think he gets maybe criticized for, you know, trying to be more of a scat back when he should be a power back. I think that's, I don't, you know, it's hard to tell because we haven't seen a lot from him either, but um, I think they both have the potential to be, you know, really good running backs. And I, I really like having a system where we have three different enough type of backs that all can be productive. And I hope we utilize them all. Um, a lot this year so um what i mean obviously you know we we know deuce and jacardier's preferred style like what what the coaches want them to be i don't remember i guess i haven't seen enough of Irvin. do we know what style of back they consider him i think he's somewhat similar to vaughn 
yeah. obviously okay. not to the extreme level that Deuce is elite, but uh, just, um, you know, he's not a burner, but he's a very shifty running back. Well, if that's the case, I think it's that much more important that Wright, you know, pan out, you know, to give us that secondary option that that's, you know, more of the bruiser kind of smash mouth. You know, the, the, the I guess what, what you'd call like the thunder and lightning combination. Mm-hmm. And we do have this uh, true freshman, DJ Giddens, out of uh, Junction City, six foot one, 205 pounds. Not a lot of people know about him because he was uh, late add on to the recruiting class and he doesn't have a Twitter. So he's not putting out uh, all this, um, you know, commitment images and everything that everyone else does, which I actually really like to a kid this age that doesn't do all the social media is pretty interesting to me. Yeah, I feel like the running back room is in a good spot for the next few years. Especially when you consider the running back room that Kleiman inherited. Yeah. <laughs> no scholarship running backs in uh, in year one. And and I, I did actually want to circle back to that for one moment. I, I, I was just going through and looking at the stats from 2019. Gilbert, 737 yards. Jordan Brown, 380. Harry Trotter, 263. Do we feel like we can get that level of production out of these three backs? At least I think the order might be open to, you know, debate, but I think it pretty confidently sounds like it's going to be Vaughn, Irvin, and then Wright as one, two, and three. Do we feel like we can get that level of production out of those? Yeah, I'm, I, I could not be any higher on Deuce Vaughn going into a sophomore year. I, he's such a superstar. I, I don't know if the coaches are going to give the lion's share of touches to him and then the other two guys just kind of get his scraps or if they're going to hold true to what they originally said they wanted for an offense and really divvy up their their carries. Obviously, Deuce is going to see a lot of work in the passing game uh, too. I could see him you know, having just as many receiving yards as he has rushing yards. Yeah, I was going to say, when think when talking about production, I feel like their, their plan, as they've stated, is almost, I think, more carries for the uh, combination, more carries for Irvin and Wright than Vaughn, because they're going to get Vaughn a lot more touches in the passing game than, um, than probably, you know, a, a number one running back would be getting more more carries, but he might be more of a 50-50 split on his pass his catches to 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 rush attempts whereas I don't think the other two guys are going to be a threat at all in the passing game. I I'm pretty sure it's known that Joe Irvin cannot catch the ball. Um that's what Oh, that's news to me. That's what's been alluded to <laughs> on that I've seen on the message boards is that apparently he is not a threat in the passing game at all, but Okay. Uh, I feel like the 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 ceiling is a lot higher than the Gilbert Trotter Brown, you know, obviously Brown missed, I think close to half of the year um, with injury. And then the other guy was Harry Trotter. And, you know, I, I, I think the, the maybe overall numbers in the past or the rush game might be something around there. I feel like the third option is going to get more than what Trotter got two years ago. Uh, but I think the key difference there is Vaughn's going to get a lot of uh, passing yards. Jax Deneen is a, uh, you know, budding run-blocking superstar in my mind. I think he's really coming along and going to be a big help for this uh, rushing attack. 
And he's shown some flashes, uh, a guy his size. Is, yeah, I mean, he's made some some nice catches in the passing game. Haven't really seen him carry the ball that often. But I, I do think you're going to have a very solid lead blocker with Deneen. You also have, again, Mason Barta, who's been on the roster forever and a day. Um, we'll talk about tight ends, H-backs here momentarily. Uh, one, one final question I was going to pose to the group. Uh, over under at. 16 and a half. Does Vaughn get more touches than that per game? Uh, you'd have to tell me what he got last year. <laughs> I'm just uh, your your guys read on it. Do you feel like he's going to get that? Is he going to be somebody who's going to get 20 to 25 touches? Or do you feel like I, I think if Messingham had his preference here, because again, Jacardier brings the, the power and the bruising type of back Irvin's got a little bit of wiggle to him not quite to the level of Vaughn Irvin's really kind of between the two obviously in terms of what he's going to bring I I think if you can diversify the carries and split those out a little bit more equitably I think that's what Messingham would prefer to do I I don't think he wants to run Vaughn 20 times and then throw him 12 passes in any one given game I could be wrong but you you said the number was 16 and a half 16 and a half. Yeah, 15 sounds right to me. I mean, for all the reasons you just alluded to, you know, they want to diversify those carries, if for no other reason than to make him a little bit more dangerous and less and less predictable. So, yeah, I'm going to say under. I'm also going with the under because I, for, for the reasons you, you guys are saying, I feel like if it is over, then that probably means that the offense is not going as well as we want it to be going. His touches last year should give me just a second. Yeah, just like what I was saying earlier, that Joe Irvin's getting so much praise this offseason. I feel like he's going to get a good amount of carries. So I I agree. I'll take the under. He had 123 carries and 25 receptions, which shakes out to 14.8 touches per game. And if he does go over that 16 and a half mark, it's maybe only going to be by a touch or two. I don't think anybody on the surface of, would object to that. But the point you guys all alluded to, and I think what we really need to drive home here is that the offense has to rely. Le- it's not that they have to rely less on Deuce Vaughn. It's that they have to rely more on additional skill players to be successful, to truly pose threats to opposing defenses. It became so apparent last year when Skyler went out and Will Howard came in at quarterback that this offense was going to be reduced to a one-trick pony. And that's why K-State was able to masquerade against the University of Kansas, obviously. But you go up against West Virginia the week after that, you get exploited very quickly. Now, West Virginia was the second-best scoring defense in the Big 12, but it, it became very apparent at that point that there just isn't a lot in the, the offensive arsenal. So... You have to rely more on the other weapons beyond Vaughn. We have to see other guys in that running back room take a step forward. I'm very excited to see what Deuce Vaughn can do. Again, I touched on the maturation there. I think he's a guy who's going to avoid that sophomore slump. I don't think he's going to let all of the preseason hype get to his head. We just need to see other pieces shoulder some of that load in the running back room. Running backs with a lot to prove going into 2021, very much like the next unit we're going to discuss, which is the defensive line. A lot of areas to talk about here. We have to lead off with 
the big one, losing your NFL draft pick at defensive end and Wyatt Hubert. He was fourth in the Big 12 in sacks last year at eight and a half. Now, I, I came away week by week feeling less and less impressed by Wyatt and he he fell into the trap that I think a lot of defensive ends fall into in that I'm going to be so fixated on the havoc play I have to get the QB hurry I have to get the strips I have to get the sacks like those are those became the focus beyond being gap sound beyond upholding all of your responsibilities in the run game I think he got away from that the further along in the season we got where it became apparent that the defense as a whole was just kind of cratering and he he seemed to be shifting his mindset to the mode of, well, I need to do whatever I can to get my stats racked up here. That was just my feeling on it, not to, to denigrate him here, but I, I don't think we're going to come away after 2021 saying, man, I really wished we had Wyatt Hubert back on this defense for one more season. Yeah, I don't think Wyatt Hubert really had that good of a year last year. I felt like it was three or four games into the season before we were even hearing his name much. And, you know, I don't like to question people's effort, uh, but at the same time, sometimes it did look like he would give up on plays that weren't coming to his side. Um, That being said, I think he definitely is a huge loss for the defense. You know, you would, if it was uh, an option, you would want him to come back for another year for sure. But um, I don't think it's maybe as big of a loss as, you know, if he didn't come back last year, I think we would have been a lot more worried about it because, you know, he was so good as a, a sophomore and a junior. I believe those are, you know, in 18 and 19, he was pretty good i think he he took a little bit of a dip last year also we learned from the combine that he had very short arms <laughs> so that's the root of all his problems i think yeah he was as physically ready as he was ever going to be but you know like you guys have both said i mean he just wasn't someone who was going to go after the ball carrier unless that ball carrier was the quarterback I mean, that's simplifying it, but that's just, you know, what it kind of came out to be that uh, that just wasn't his strength was um, run defense. Um, I, you know, a lot of people are probably more worried about receiver or linebacker, but the the thing that has me most worried just because it's a complete unknown is uh, the pass rush for me. Um, You know, Khalid Duke has shown a lot of promise, but he's also disappeared for large uh, portions of the season. Boo Massey's been here a long time, and he was starting to come on this past year, but is he going to be able to replace anywhere near the production that uh, uh, Hubert had? I don't know. Uh, I think it's up to uh, Felix Anudike. You know, he's uh, someone who really flashed, uh, you know, in the the few times he got on the field, and uh, I think he's going to take the next step to becoming the next great defensive end at K-State whether that's this year or in the next couple of years. I don't know. I personally kind of fall into the trap of thinking that we have depth just because I know the name of the next guy on the depth chart. I know that's an easy thing to do, especially this time of year. That said, you know, self-awareness another guy is very that, big netter. What's that? I said self-awareness is very big netter. Good yeah, well, I do what I can. 
But uh, I was going to say, Kermari Gaines also got some time last year, so that is worth noting that, you know, we do have some experience at the position. Obviously, you know, like, uh, Clint, you talked about, you know, Khalid Duke and what he did early in the year. Um, you know, like, I remember him being everywhere in that Oklahoma game. Um, the problem that always seems to persist with uh, with defensive ends, especially, is when you have a pretty good set of bookends and one of them graduates, the other's production just completely falls off the map. You know, you saw it with uh, with Jordan Willis and uh, um, Reggie Walker. Reggie Walker. Um, you know, at, you know. Obviously, I'm going to worry about that being a situation. Like, obviously, I think you know Duke has shown that he can do it, but can he do it without you know that commanding presence on the other side of the line? Um, all that said, you know, like I, I'm cautiously optimistic about the group as a whole, if for no other reason than we are experienced, but like it's so many positions on the defense, you know, we're experienced, but not guys that have had to prove it like in a regular starting role. So, you know, I, I, there's not much else I can say that you guys haven't already said other than I think the potential's there, but they're going to have to go out and show they can do it. Yeah. I think from here on out, looking at all the uh, units of the team, we're, we're probably speaking on potential more than anything. Yep. Working down the list. And, you know, I think, I think we have good potential. Um, I'm hoping that Tim Horn comes in and just becomes just a physical presence on the interior, you know, just a guy that can just take up space and not get moved around. I think that would be huge. Um, and then Jalen pickle on the inside with him as well. You know, we just need some anchors in that, the middle of that defensive line. I think boom Massey is a guy that's, um, you know, look for some, he, he has some good moments, but the consistency has never really been there. And I know he's, he's had some injury issues throughout his career, but um, I don't think he has a super high ceiling, but I think he can be a very solid player this year, but it comes down to like Felix and you and you DK and Khalid Duke, like, can they be difference makers? Um, especially with the potential of having to, you know, maybe try to, um, mask some of our deficiencies behind them at the linebacker spot as well so but i am optimistic mm -hmm. thinking about d tackle with uh, timmy horn coming over from charlotte and all his rave reviews you know normally when you're going down through a depth chart and you're thinking oh we think this guy's gonna be really good we're hearing good things you know that's usually a recipe for your team not actually being that good with you know you just haven't seen any of these guys and it's could just be all smoke but i think we're in kind of the age of the uh the transfer portal and that's just going to be the new normal i mean you're going to have quite a few players on your team that you've never seen before and um i mean i'm trusting the coaches that they know what they're talking about they've been raving about him ever since they got here ever since he got here um you know eli huggins is another guy in there who might be the starter him or pickle um you know he's i i think he only has to be average for this uh defense to be pretty good you talk about Timmy Horn. That's uh, there. There's a lot of high expectations being placed on his shoulders now. This is a this is a large human being coming in at six four, over three hundred pounds. So definitely a guy who's gonna, for uh, pardon the pun here, but he's gonna eat up some space in the line. He's gonna play. He's definitely gonna command some double teams in there. So the, there is the onus is gonna be on these ends, and we're gonna we're gonna need to see 
a lot of guys step up on that front. You talked about Bronson Massey and Kamari Gaines. Only 27 combined tackles and four and a half uh, sacks between those two last year. So we definitely need to see an uptick in production from those guys. Also, just knowing based off of their experience that they're probably going to see a lot of snaps uh, and probably more so than DK, at least at, at the outset. Now, there's been a lot of hype surrounding him as well, coming in at 6'3", 255. So a guy with a good frame. Um, but I, 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 I'm very much looking forward to see what we're going to get out of the defensive ends and also in the defensive line. Uh, and Timmy Horn, I think, uh, as far as replacing personnel goes drew wiley was another guy i think that that was another big hit that we took on the d line uh having him uh up not to come back for a super senior season uh drew wiley had a a fine year plug in the middle 24 tackles four and a half tackles for loss uh and four excuse me four and a half sacks um did a lot for this defense but i think you'll see horn come in and easily reproduce those those numbers for this unit this year lots of Lots of unknowns on the D-line just because we don't have a lot of proven commodities yet. But I think this group will will find its way as we we navigate through the season. Uh, I do think there's enough talent and and certainly physical abilities and guys that look the part. I think we'll get the production we need out of this group as we move through the season. Um, Now, with that being said, we we talked about uh, how really a lot of what we've been discussing through these first few uh, position groups are what we know, what we can see, what we've, you know, and, and it be it stats, what we've seen these guys do at other schools, what we saw them do for K-State last season. Now we're moving into an area where we have some concerns and some guys that haven't really proven a whole lot. Um, so this is going to take us to tight end and H-back. Um, now, Clint, you did talk about Jax Danine. I think a guy who's definitely rounding out and will become the the lead fullback that K-State needs. You also have, and I know, I know I mentioned his name as well, Mason Barta, who's been around for a long time. So you've got, excuse me, a couple of a solid lead blocker candidates. I think Danine is going to definitely take on uh, more of a role as far as carrying the ball and and catching the ball when compared to what we would see out of Barta. Now that's that's not to say you don't expect him to get a ton of targets per game. You know, you may maybe he gets the one or two carries per contest. Maybe he has one or two balls thrown his way in the passing game. I I I don't expect Deneen to be a very big contributor as far as that goes, but I think he's definitely going to be a guy who's going to be barreling through some holes and wrecking some linebackers and some safeties going downfield and blocking for this team now. I think Deneen will will fill into that role nicely. Now, as far as other guys at that tight end H back position, some guys that were there's there's a lot of hype surrounding uh, Amater Bebe at tight end coming in from USC Illinois, whichever one you want to throw out there. He's he's definitely a journeyman, uh, but a guy with a very nice physical frame, and, and I think a guy who's going to be a good replacement. Uh, candidate to replace what we saw last year in Briley Moore. We've been hearing that he's a more athletic version of Briley Moore, which sounds crazy because Briley Moore is one of the best tight ends that have come through K-State, especially in recent years. Um, you know, but what do we have to worry about him staying healthy? Then we got Sammy Wheeler, who is an incredibly athletic tight end, maybe a little bit undersized, but that just means he can split out wide if he needs to. What do we have to worry about him? 
staying healthy. You got Nick Lenners, who never really seemed like he came back from that uh, bad knee injury he had. And then uh, we, after that, we have got Connor Fox, who I think he's injured right now, too. Um, so the biggest question mark for tight end is definitely health. Yeah, we've heard recently that uh, I think Imater Bebe is the only tight end that isn't dinged up right now. Um, so that's concerning just from a health standpoint. If that if if Daniel Matterbaby can be healthy this year, um, there's highlights of him at USC, and the dude can run, he can catch, he can go up and get contested balls. I think if he stays healthy, he's he's going to be a huge target for for Skyler. Um, I think we know Skyler really likes to have that tight end. He hasn't really had it much throughout his career, but. You could tell early on last year that he really liked having Briley Moore before he um, got hurt. But, yeah, it's like Clint said, it's can we have some tight ends that stay healthy and be productive in that passing game? And you know that Messingham is going to use the tight ends if they're out there. But I know it's a it's a big if, but like honestly, between Amater Bebe and between uh, Sammy Wheeler, if we can get them both on the field at the same time. I struggle to think of a more, you know, intriguing one-two punch at that position that we've ever had. Brian Casey and Thomas Hill. That's about as far back. Honestly, it's funny you say it because that's about the last time I could remember having two go-to tight ends at the same time. Did we have Tannehill and McDonald on the same teams? Yeah. I think potential-wise, like Tannehill (laughs) was productive. McDonald had potential, but they never really – gelled at the same time i would say mm-hmm. i think casey kind of took off because he'll got hurt if i exactly. remember right we never really used shad meyer especially when we yeah. had justin swift and that and, right uh, there folks is every tight end in the last 50 years <laughs> uh jaron mass uh, i was gonna say jaron mastrood um he and, and Tannehill was there but Tannehill was a true freshman so oh, they had uh, michael um, pushki at the same time as mastrood i think and Rashad Norwood when yeah. Mastrud was a freshman. The tight end rabbit hole was not expecting yeah. to go down. <laughs> what are we doing the, here? This avenue. Um, but Briley Moore last year was second on the team in receiving, caught 22 passes for 338 and three touchdowns. Um, so I, I think, and Sammy Wheeler, I, I felt so bad for him. Shout out to Lenexa, Kansas. Uh, he w- looked like he was poised to have a, a, a fine season Had seven catches for a buck 38 and a touchdown through, uh, the first couple of games and then ends up going out, uh, with a season ending injury. So need this position group to stay healthy. I think at a macro level, both fans and coaches alike, we're all wanting to see the tight end H-back role contribute more in the passing game than it has the first couple of years under Chris Kleiman. That's all going to fall on the shoulders of Skyler. It's really going to be incumbent on him to make those reads in the passing tree. Can he come off of Malik Knowles and find Daniel Amaterbebe on a cross late? Can he spot Jack Stenine working in the flat when Sebastian Taylor's covered up? That's going to be a very key storyline to monitor, and that's really what's going to separate this unit from being elite, being the type of offense that's going to hit you for 200 running and 200 throwing every week out, and being just another solid Skyler-led offense. Very key storyline to watch. Very excited to see what all of these 
unique talents can contribute in the passing game this season. Great combination of size and speed from Amada Bebe. Sammy Wheeler's got great hands and also has good size for a tight end. We've all talked about Jackson Ean, who's just a bowling ball. As soon as he gets rolling downfield, he's just going to start steamrolling over people. There's a lot of guys in here who constrain a defense. Can Skyler find them in the passing game? Very key storyline to keep an eye on, but a lot of optimism surrounding this this particular position group. Unfortunately, we're going to have to transition from positivity to some areas of very legitimate concern. And fittingly, we're going to move over to the linebacker group. This group was hit hardest by departures after this season in that you lost your your second and your fifth leading tackler from a year ago and Justin Hughes and Elijah Sullivan, respectively. Sullivan, while he racked up fewer stops just in just five fewer tackles, Hughes had 45, he had 40, but Sullivan's the one you probably miss more in that he, he still had the lateral quickness to his game and wasn't as much of a liability in pass coverage. Justin Hughes had lost a step following that injury in 2019, coming back in 2020. You could tell he wasn't quite himself and really never got back to form, which that that happens when you have the type of injury that he did prior to the start of that season. You lose those two following the 2020 season, and now you're left with a lot of unproven talent. Daniel Green's obviously gotten some snaps at linebacker, but he really hasn't been asked to anchor the unit the way that he's going to be this season. Cody Fletcher opted to come back for another year. And beyond that, you you bring in Eric Munoz from Utah State, but there's really a lot of uncertainty about what this group is going to bring to the table this season. And candidly, I, I don't even know what we can expect this group to to contribute to K-State's defense in 2021. Well, I thought the linebackers were pretty bad last year. I mean, he was, you know, like you said, he, he was still coming off of his injury. He wasn't back to the form that he had a couple years ago. And Sullivan, you know, he's obviously a good player. You know, he's still sticking around in uh, training camp with the 49ers, but I, I just didn't think he played very well last year. I, I thought Cody Fletcher was better than Hughes last year. So I, I just don't think it's going to be much of a drop-off for the starters. Um, that's not saying a lot, um, but uh, I, I, I don't think it's going to be much worse. It's what I'm getting at. Unless one of these two guys gets injured, then the depth is really scary at linebacker. Supposedly, Nick Allen is looking really good, but, you know, former walk-on, you never know what you're going to get. Probably a dip in athleticism. Uh, Eric Munoz, you know, transferred from Utah State. Uh, I don't think he was brought in to be a big-time contributor. He's more of just a depth piece and a locker room guy. Uh, Wayne Jones making the move to linebacker. That's intriguing. Um, I know we're going to be running some dif- different defensive sets this year, and he might fit a mold uh, that is needed there. Um, but, you know, I was never very impressed with him at safety, and I don't have super high hopes for him at linebacker. Yeah, I'm, uh, I mean, there's not much more that can be said, really. I mean, the, the depth there is kind of terrifying, honestly. If there was one place I would have liked to see the coaching staff make a splash in the transfer portal, it was here. And I don't think it was for lack of effort, but it just didn't work out. Uh, you know, I don't remember his name, but there was the the talk of the Texas linebacker that had been teammates with Ty Zentner that, you know, kind of magically showed up in Manhattan one day. And I think that that caught a lot of people's attention and sounds like it wasn't a cultural fit. You know, I think they were really, really pushing that. 
that that aspect of it this year. So in that regards, you know, good for the coaches for sticking to their guns. But yeah, really would have liked to have seen an impact transfer uh, in the linebacker room because while I don't feel terrible about the starting two, there's nothing to write home about behind them. So it's it's definitely a major, probably the biggest cause for concern for me. Yeah. I'll echo that. Um, I'm hoping that the defensive line and the secondary um, has a pretty good year. I think if out of the three groups, if you want one of your 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 groups on defense to to maybe not be so great, I'd probably pick linebacker because I think the defensive line and the secondary kind of had you know in front of the linebackers and behind the linebackers can really mask some of the deficiencies of a linebacking core. I'm okay with Green and Fletcher being the starters. You know, like 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 Clint said, they might not be the best linebackers, but they're not really replacing all-stars either. So I don't think the drop-off is going to be huge there. It's just the, the problem is, is depth with the linebackers, and there's just there's less wiggle room with the defensive line in the secondary, um, knowing that your, your linebackers are kind of your weak spot on defense. Clannerman's going to have to come up with some very creative ways, schematic. Clannerman's going to have to come up with some very creative schemes in the early stages of this season. You don't really have the luxury of concealing your linebackers in that week one matchup against Stanford. They're going to run power at you all day long. And, and to that point, I would caution our fans and say, don't be overly enamored with what you see from the linebacker core in week one. You might see Daniel Green pop off with 12 tackles. You might see Cody Fletcher rack up three tackles behind the line of scrimmage. I think that's going to be much more a byproduct of the way Stanford attacks Kansas State as opposed to what you can realistically expect to see from that position group as we move into Big 12 play. The real litmus test is going to be when the Cats square off against Nevada, final non-con game of the 2021 season. Fans are just going to have to be patient with this unit. That's really the reality of it. And what we've seen from Fletcher and Green and spot duty has been has been adequate, but now the lights are going to be on them. And if the lights are not shining on them, then we're looking at a guy like Wayne Jones, who's made a position change, as we alluded to, or it's Eric Munoz, who hasn't played in a P5 conference. There, there's a lot to, to take in and process when we're looking at the linebacker unit. I think the healthiest way to evaluate this group is to really wait until season's end because I think I think if you look back at the season that was, you might find yourself saying, wow, Daniel Green had a rough go of it there in that Oklahoma State, Oklahoma stretch, but then really turned it on and was performing at an all-Big 12 level during that final six to seven games of conference play or man Wayne Jones was a ghost during the non-con didn't see him at all took him until you know the Iowa State game to start getting snaps but managed to carve out a role and was playing you know honorable mention I or and or second team all big 12 level football by that point in time I hate using the h word but we're, we're really at a position with this group that we just have to go off of what we hope they can contribute to make this a functional Big 12 defense, the expectations are going to be very low. So in that sense, there's nowhere to go but up for this position group. So I'll 
leave it on a note of positivity as we get set to transition to the wide receivers. In hindsight, when I rated these, I don't know if it was necessarily fair to put the wide receiver group down this low, but in the same breath, we, we've we really come to know over the last couple of years that there's not a lot of consistency uh, with this group. Uh, Malik Knowles, when he is healthy and, and when we're locked in and that connection between he and Skyler is working, he can be one of the best receivers in the Big 12. But staying healthy has been a problem for him. Uh, Sebastian Taylor also uh, enduring an ACL injury last year. That that was a very big hit. Um, not necessarily a, a, by the end of last season. Again, this was as the team was finishing, you know, 0-5 in its final five games. So it didn't obviously impact how the season ended last year, but more so the recovery time to bounce back from the ACL and whether or not he's going to be ready week one for Stanford. Uh, some positive things being said about him on, on KSO uh, based off of what I've been reading. But again, this is, this is practice and things are always subject to change. And this, hopefully he is in a spot where even if you can get him out there for, uh, you know, you have a pitch count with him in that week one game, that would be awesome. If we could see Taylor that, that quickly coming off of an ACL, but uh, I'll ask you guys, which receiver do you feel is more vital to the group's success? Is it Taylor or is it Knowles? I'm going to say Knowles. Yeah, I would definitely say Knowles. I mean, Same here. Yeah, T- Taylor had a decent season last year for being someone who hadn't produced much uh, up to that point. He had a few nice long touchdown catches. Um, but just the fact that Knowles was not existent throughout much of the year is – I think what hurt our passing game, obviously not having Skyler hurt it the most, but other than that, Knowles' absence definitely uh, was a huge blow to this passing game. Yeah, I agree. Knowles is definitely, I think he's the, um, he's been the guy on the roster the last probably three years that definitely has the highest ceiling at receiver. Um, and he's approached it sometimes. He's looked like he's, you know, a all big 12 type receiver. But, you know, he kind of disappears at stretches and he's had some injury problems. But I think if he can stay healthy, he is definitely um, the best candidate to be like our number one receiver this year as far as just experience goes. But also just from a talent standpoint, I think he is, um, as far as we know right now, probably the best receiver on the on the roster. Yeah, so I, I love Malik Knowles. <laughs> I, I don't know why I have so much faith in him after uh, the season that he had and all the injury problems that he's had, but I, I just really feel like he's going to have a big year. And it, it helps me to know that there's been so much added depth this year between uh, Tyrone Howell uh, from JUCO. He's been getting rave reviews. Uh, Travis Garber, they've both been getting fantastic reviews. Uh, they brought Cade Warner in. And the fact that we have such athletic tight ends that I think can split out wide is going to be a huge uh, help to us if our receivers are not producing or not staying healthy. I know the word we keep kicking around is potential, but it's definitely there with this group. I mean, all that, you know, it seems like it's almost like it's almost been a rotation of guys that are just, you know, that that we're we're hearing all kinds of hype about, you know, it, it was Howell for a while. 
Jalen Travis, you've heard about his hands like you just alluded to. Keenan Garber got lots of love this offseason. And now it's R.J. Garcia was most recently mentioned. Like, there are definitely a lot of guys who seem to at least be showing flashes. So it's like, if they could even put it together on a semi-consistent basis, you know, that's that's a lot of guys, it sounds like, with the potential to contribute. Obviously, again, I know I've said it three, four times already, got to go out and prove it. And in Noel's case, you got to stay, you know, physically and mentally, you got to stay in it. But uh, I think there's definitely the potential there, especially with an improved offensive line, like you said, athletic tight ends, and a veteran, as veteran as they get, quarterback. So I think the sky's the limit if they can put it all together. Yeah, the thing I like about this group is we finally, if everyone kind of is living up to, um, you know, just the most basic expectations uh, for them, that this is going to be a pretty deep group of wide receivers. So if, you know, by chance we do have some injuries, um, hopefully we shouldn't be, you know, kind of in the, the spot we have the last few years where we're we're pretty thin at receiver. Um, Jalen Travis is a guy that, I mean, I we we've literally seen nothing from him on the field, but I just always, every time he his name gets mentioned, uh, I remember Matt Hall and Derek Young talking about seeing him at camp and he was a camp um, offer and I think he might have committed while he was at camp and they just said that he wasn't the fastest guy, he wasn't the biggest guy out there, but he caught anything near him, didn't drop anything um, and obviously that's kind of the first job of a wide receiver, so I'm hoping that you know, even some of these young guys can come in and make some contributions and give us some depth there. I think Garber's going to hopefully have a big year. I think Philip Brooks is a guy that doesn't have the highest ceiling, but you kind of know what you're getting from him, and he's pretty consistent in what he does. So um, this group has the potential to be pretty good this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been waiting for Philip Brooks to turn into Tremaine Thompson for a couple years now. He hasn't done it yet. You know, he's a candidate to uh, for maybe someone like Keenan Garber to pass him, get some work in the slot position. Um, but, it, you know, it really wouldn't surprise me if Brooks did take that jump to the next level. I mean, he's still a fairly young player and we can we've seen what he can do on special teams. I mean, he he has uh, some ability there. Plenty of of promise and again it's I, I the reason i put the question out there as far as malik or Sebastian taylor which one's more vital i i really do think Sebastian taylor i feel like is they is certainly the more physical receiver and i i think he's a guy who can win one-on-ones down on the boundary and I think if he's going and beating guys and, and that opens things up for Malik Knowles, who for a guy who, who's as long as he is, he moves very smoothly in the open field. And, and, and I would love nothing more than to see those two complement each other and both have, you know, if we even if, you, you know, <laughs> this this gives you an idea of how bleak things have been at the wide receiver position. If we have two guys put together. 500 yard seasons each. I mean that, that, and that would double up their yards from each of them from a year ago. Uh, yeah. Taylor ending up with, uh, I guess not directly double up, but 19 catches for 293, Knowles 13 for 204. So if you can get roughly a thousand yards out of those two, uh, I think this offense is in, is going to be in great shape. And, and you talked about Phil Brooks in the slot, um, very reliable, have no issues with him. 
I, I really do think we, we do need one more compliment to emerge. And I, I'm very excited to see who that ends up being. If it, if it is Jalen Travis, if it's Keenan Garber, uh, if you guys had to put money on it, who, who do you feel is the wide receiver that's going to step up this year? And the other name, too, that we've we've seen some, you know, Patterson Gimlin footage of uh, is Ty- Tyrone Hal coming out of uh, Juco. We've been seeing some some Joe Hall videos of him on YouTube and or not YouTube, excuse me, on Twitter here lately. Um, who do you feel like is going to emerge as maybe that fourth option at wide receiver? I think it's going to be Hal. Um, I, we're going to see all of them, but I, I think Hal, you know, he's a little bit older coming in from Juco. Uh, he's more of the big body type that uh, we might see more of while uh, Taylor is still recovering from his, his knee injury. Yeah, I would agree with that. While, while Garber's got more experience in the program, um, I think we're going to see more of Garber, but probably out of that slot role. I think we're we're going to see how more split out wide, and I think he's probably if if you believe you know what you're seeing in the practice videos that they're pumping out on Twitter right now, certainly looks the part. So I think he's he's probably got my my vote as well. Carlos Strickland, I mean uh, <laughs> Iron Howell will also be my choice, followed by I think Garber also is is going to get some. Uh, he's going to he's going to be a decent contributor this year as well. And we did see some, him getting some snaps. I remember he came in a very critical situation against Oklahoma state last year, uh, came in on a, I can't remember if it was an end around or if it was one of those little toss passes that we ran against the pokes, but I think he's going to get some time in the slot. And I think how though, again, it's, you can't coach six, three, excuse me, 6'3", 200. I think he certainly has the frame and can serve as a, another nice compliment out there to Malik Knowles. Um, promise is the, is, the, is the operative word with this group. We, we, we need to see some guys too. I think the biggest thing that, and I, I, this kind of pivots into a larger conversation, I, I think the biggest thing above all else that held back the offense last season was just, you, you didn't have receivers who could win one-on-ones you, you, and you had the injury bug with Malik Knowles and, and there, and also I mentioned it, why King Gill ends up going out midway through the season as well. You, you just didn't really have a lot of guys that you could bank on to, 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 to win a matchup. If a corner tries to jam them on the boundary or to find that open spot in the zone, you just really didn't have that last season. And the other big variable in all that was you're asking a, a you know, a, a true freshman in, in Will Howard, who's never been tasked to read uh, a, a defense comprised of division one football players. And we're throwing him into the fire, asking him to have the timing down and make sure it's perfect. There were just a lot of elements that went into it, but I think receivers not, being able to get separation, not being able to find those openings. I think that was one of the biggest things that really held back this offense last year. So I'm, I'm hoping that these guys really do pop this season. Tyrone Howell is a guy that I think everybody justifiably is very excited about. So promise is the big word and hopefully they, they show out on the big stage when we open that season up uh, with the Stanford Cardinal. And I think, um, uh, Jeff, that I have one more said, question about Howell before we move on. Go for it. Go um, for it. I just because it's such a unique situation, 
the guys coming off of a, a JUCO season where they played in the last game of the year, and that game was played June 5th, so really not a lot of time to recover. Is that a cause for concern for you guys that he, you know, is really coming off, basically transitioning from one season right into the next? If we were looking for him to be our number one receiver, I would say absolutely. But the fact that I think we can kind of bring him along with the depth that we do have, uh, I'm not super concerned about it. I wouldn't be super concerned either. Just a, he's a wide receiver. Um, probably not taking a huge pounding in those games. Be you know, if it was a offensive lineman or D D D line or something, that would be more concerning or even maybe a running back. But, um, also, I don't think the JUCO season, I don't think they played a full schedule this this year, if I'm not mistaken. So a few less games. I could be wrong on that. But, uh, you know, I think with the receiver, they probably should be able to bounce back pretty quick. You know, th- probably more so. But, you know, they're they're probably going through extensive spring ball if they didn't have a season anyway. So I'm not too concerned about it. Okay. Yeah, he should be in game shape. Yeah, that's for sure. That would almost be <laughs> yeah, more of a concern for me later in the season. You know, like they always talked about Snyder legs. You know, yeah. that, that would almost be that would almost be my concern would be later in the year. Yeah, I, I think that's that's the much more valid concern on that front. Uh, and I know making the jump from from JC to to D one is is challenging, but I think. You know, that's the other thing, too. Maybe you don't see him a ton in, in the first couple of weeks uh, just because he, he's becoming more familiar with the offense and the scheme and whatnot. But I think Howell is definitely going to be a guy as we get into the meat of the conference slate that we really do see him contribute a lot more uh, as we get into Big 12 play. Now, the last unit that we do have to talk about here is special teams, and uh, we lose all everything kicker Blake Lynch, who was 12 of 17 on field goal tries last year. Uh, no make bigger than the 50-yarder that he cashed against the Oklahoma Sooners to give K-State the, the go-ahead score and ultimately the game-winning score uh, to lift the Wildcats over OU in Norman. Now, we've got some uncertainty here in this area as well. We know we have Philip Brooks uh, returning punts. Uh, there's also been some chatter here lately in that Malik Knowles is also taking on or potentially taking on that duty. I, I for one, would say do not under any circumstance put Malik Knowles in a position where he could get blown up. <laughs> I think him returning kickoffs, I'm, I'm okay with. Punts, yeah, I'm I'm just a little iffy on. I don't want to put him in harm's way any more than we already have to do there. But um, how are we feeling overall about specialists? And, and and the other thing too, what the 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 talk is that Ty Zetner is going to be the one who takes over potentially as both uh, as as place kicker, and he's also going to continue upholding his duties as punter. But how do we feel just collectively about where special teams is for this for this 2021 iteration of K-State? I feel pretty good about it. You know, you know what you get with uh, Philip Brooks. 
Um, you know, I like Ty Zentner as a punter. You know, he split time with uh, Jack Bloomer last year, which I didn't really get because I thought Zentner was the better of the two. Uh, I don't know if they're going to continue doing that this year. Um, it feels like it's been a long time since we, you know, had anything but a really steady kicker back there. You know, I don't know if it's going to be Zentner. I don't know if it's going to be, uh, I don't know if I'm saying this right, Tayton Winkle. Uh, Chris Tennant was another young guy who was really highly thought of as a, a recruit. Um, you know, I, as just the kicking game is the only one that it is really concerning to me. Yeah, agreed on all that. I remember Tennant was a guy who uh, was a preferred walk-on, but the coaching staff thought highly enough of him. It, it's my understanding they had to fight off a couple of big-name programs to to keep him in the fold, and it was big enough that uh, that Taylor Brad even tweeted out his famous cat signal, uh, which he never does for walk-ons. So, uh, yeah, that might be a name to keep an eye on if, if for whatever reason it doesn't pan out for Zentner at, you know, if kicking duties don't work out there. But, uh yeah, I mean, I'm always going to be nervous when you're not when you don't have a proven commodity at kicker. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's I, I obviously know exactly what we're getting elsewhere. So yeah, that that would be my only area for concern. Yeah, I'm not too worried about the return game, um, but you know, replacing a kicker, little little iffy there. So we'll see what happens there. I don't, I don't have a. Uh, I don't feel like we've been hearing much about it, so I don't really have much to go off of, but we'll see. That's definitely one of those scary moments, and, and everybody talks about how special teams have always been so vital. Again, I, I I don't worry about us in the return game. I think we've got plenty of weapons back there, and I think we can, and even if uh, if we see other guys emerge beyond Phillip Brooks and Malik Knowles, that, that would be wonderful to just have more more threats out there to potentially field kicks and whatnot. But yeah, it's, it's a little nerve nerve wracking when we really haven't heard anything about what the kicker position is going to look like. So that'll definitely be an intriguing one to watch come, come week one. I, I think we all feel comfortable with Zettner handling punting, but the, the kicking position is definitely one to keep an eye on as we get ready to start 2021. And with that said, we've tackled all the position groups here. I think it's time to move next into the breakdown of the schedule. Now, um, this uh, per Phil Steele, this is the sixth toughest schedule in the country. Uh, K-State opens up uh, with the neutral site game, as we all know, against Stanford. Uh, I, I think that is such a, a pivotal and really I don't want to place too much pressure on it, but you know Gene Taylor's feeling the heat for for moving that game to Dallas. You you know the guys want to come and show out and, and get that return game against the Cardinal and start the season off on the right foot. I, I really do think this is a game that can swing the season from being in the neighborhood of six and six to being up there in the eight and four realm. That that's my thought. Um, I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on this game or if you have a different swing game that you wanted to talk about, but I think the Stanford game is pre- pretty pivotal. So as we just went through in uh, the 2.0 series, you know, Phil Snyder's teams were not very good against Power 5 non-conference opponents, and it's left me very scared of non-conference Power 5 opponents. Um, but, you know, Kleiman's already proved that he can uh, – 
you know, get his team up to beat somebody like Mississippi State the year after we got destroyed by Mississippi State. Um, so I am fairly optimistic that we can beat a pretty average Stanford team. Um, I Yeah, I'm calling a win right now. I feel like this is the game that sets the tone for the season. Um, not only just for the going forward, just to kind of get that bad taste out of our mouths from the 0-5 finish from last year. So, yeah, I think it's a huge game. Very important. Should have the crowd probably will not be a sellout, but there's going to be like 30 Stanford fans there. So <laughs> it pretty much be like a home game. Um, I think we do win this game as well. And I think it's going to, you know, a good showing in this game really sets us up to have a lot of confidence going forward against a couple of other pretty tough non-conference opponents. Yeah, in in my opinion, losing this game would honestly be inexcusable. I mean, with the with the veteran offense we have coming back, and frankly, Stanford is nothing to write home about this year. Um, yeah, for all the reasons you guys have already mentioned, it's the, this you you absolutely have to come away with this one. I mean, there's no excuse not to start this year one and zero. Now, Stanford game we we talked about here the the Cardinal return. 14 starters, uh, eight of which are on the defensive side of the ball. So it's going to be a lot of strength on strength. Davis Mills is no longer uh, quarterbacking the Cardinal as, as well. So they'll be breaking in some new personnel on the offensive side. So really, it's it's in this early part of the season, especially too when you think about all the new pieces that K-State's going to be introducing on the defensive side of the ball, it's really going to be on the shoulders of Skyler and the offense to to help lift K-State in these first few games. Now, th- this game is huge, obviously, and, and will be a tone setter for, for the squad. I don't think if K-State drops this game that that takes a bowl game out of the equation that the, the possibility for uh, a 7-5 and five or 8-4 and four season goes out the window. I, I think there's enough talent on the offensive side of the ball that this group will find a way to rally. There's enough veteran uh players on both sides of the ball to, to keep the locker room together. And Kleiman did talk about though at length in uh, one of his pressers here in recent weeks, what do we do when confronted with adversity? So I, I think let's do our best to avoid that for, for week one. And I do think K-State while this, the line has swung all over the board from Stanford minus two and a half goes back to K-State goes to a pick. I mean, the line just keeps bouncing all over the place. I I still do feel the more and more I read about Stanford, the more and more I read about how our guys are feeling internally and how the staff is feeling about this group. I I do feel like the, this is a game that K-State will, will get the job done in, which will, again, this will be big in terms of moving forward and setting this group up. Now the home opener for K-State is one that I I won't say is tricky, but you don't want to sleep on Southern Illinois. Uh, Southern Illinois in their FCS season, the shortened FCS season that was held uh, earlier this year in the spring, uh, whooped up on North Dakota State pretty bad, 38 to 14. That's that's something you can't just casually dismiss when the team that's won the FCS title for pretty much the better part of a decade now uh, gets taken to the woodshed by uh, somebody that's on your non-con slate. I do think that K-State will win that game. You're always going to be up for the first true home game. I, I don't 
sweat that one as much. The the week three game against Nevada is the one that I, I think will be a very, very big test for this group. Uh, Nevada's kind of the, the consensus pick to win the Mountain West, have a ton coming back on offense, a couple of lethal wide receivers. I think that's a, that's a very big game again, where you, you might find yourself in a little bit of a shootout there too, with if, if some of these pieces on the defensive side and in particular in the secondary, maybe aren't gelling early on you're again, as I, as I said, I think you're really going to lean on Skyler and this offense to find a way to help you navigate through this, this part of the, uh, the slate. I say all this to say I, I do feel like it's more likely than not that K-State makes it through the non-con 3-0. Do we feel the same about that, or, or is there a game that K-State's going to step its toe? Uh, I, I'm also pretty confident, and I will say that would be a much stronger 3-0 than you know some of the previous non-con slates we've seen for sure. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's for all the reasons we just mentioned, there are really no games that there are no rollover, you know, gimme games here. You're going to have to show up for all of them. I think Nevada is the toughest non-conference schedule. Um, I, I saw somewhere where they're bringing back like at least 90%, maybe it was even 95% of their players from last year. Um, 20 starters back. Yeah. yeah. So they're, uh, their quarterback is ranked in the top 10 quarterbacks in pretty much every list that I've seen. He yeah. has a good shot at being a draft pick draft pick this next year. Um, you know, I'm expecting us to go three and zero, but if we're two and one, I'm not going to be too upset. Yeah, I'm expecting three and zero as well. I'll be a little bummed at two and one, but um, at the same time, two and one, depending on how those games played, isn't the end of the world. Um, a three and zero could, you know, obviously. We could look like crap and still be three and zero. We could look really good and be two and one. So I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Hopefully we're three and zero and we look pretty good uh, going into conference play. But I'll just say I feel a lot better getting Nevada in week three than I would like opening against them. They're also dealing with a lot of turmoil right now. Um, with I believe they had to go to Stanford, which is kind of ironic. <laughs> uh, practice because the air quality in Nevada is just not they can't practice outdoors right now so and I saw pictures of them practicing inside on like taped lines on a concrete floor or something I think it's a basketball gym or something I don't know yeah yeah sounds kind of like Oklahoma rolling into Manhattan at 4 a.m in the morning yeah right where we want Damn, man we did not need to hear that <laughs> yeah why well, you gotta go there man uh but yeah Calling that's <laughs> yeah, uh, Carson Strong is the, the quarterback for the Nevada Wolfpack. Hit 70% of his throws last year, threw for uh, over 2,700 yards, ran, or, or excuse me, over 2,800 yards, ran for 675 yards, leading rusher on the squad. So that's, like I said, Nevada's going to present some challenges for this team. And I think you, you, you really have to, you have to make sure that you have your shit together for that one. That's that's not a game that K-State can just kind of sputter out of the gate and I think find its way. You know, if you get down in that game 17 to 7, you, you might be in some trouble. Uh, so with all that said, we move, we look next to the Big 12 slate. And, and damn, man, <laughs> we've talked about in some of those uh, 
previous pods uh, about how the schedule makers did the Wildcats no favors. Schedule makers did the Wildcats no favors in this. You open up at Oklahoma State, where again, K-State has won just one time going all the way back to 1999 and then you follow that up with a home game against Oklahoma again perennial conference favorite Sooners have won the Big 12 six consecutive years and are by some people the dark horse to win the national title this year so after that you get a bye and then you get to host Iowa State who pretty much everyone has as the consensus number two in the Big 12 so I'll, I'll go ahead and pause there what record through this three-game stretch makes you happy? Oh, if we even go two and one, I'm ecstatic through those three games. Oh, I would shit bricks. I'd be take two yeah. and one all day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would say that's the only thing that would make me happy. I mean, if we were one and two, I would certainly understand. But you're not going to feel happy about that. Yeah, one and two is, you know, baseline, I think. We can't go 0 and 3. That is, you know, that I mean, we could go 0 and 3, but going 0 and 3 would not bode well for, um, you know, who knows the psyche of the team at this point. So you got to win one of those games, preferably you'd like to win two or three of them. But if we go one and two, who's your one? I mean, I was going to say be, Iowa it's State. It's got to be until, Iowa State. <laughs> yeah, until Jeff th- – or I was going to say Oklahoma State until Jeff threw out that stat that we've only won there once since 1999. Yeah. That makes me a little bit more worried than I was. Well, you know, you said <laughs> that the one the one win we have there is with the quarterback we're rolling in there with this year. So Yeah, we don't have Byron Pringle this time. Yeah, fair. Tyrone Howell is Pringle. Yeah, Tyrone. Man, I – I just I need to go back and watch some JUCO highlights for Hal. I, I've only seen him in the short little clips I've seen that on Twitter so far. I really don't know what kind of player he is, other than the word that he has really good hands. That I think Iowa State at home coming off the bye probably seems like your best shot of the three for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this schedule really sets up like a classic K-State schedule. We could easily lose these first three Big Twelve games and then run the rest of the slate. That and the one thing. Well, if you're looking at a three and zero non-con, that's never mind. I was gonna say you're looking at nine and three if you do that. The one other thing I'll say too, I think Iowa State is the most gettable game because their first five, Northern Iowa at home, the Hawkeyes at home, which again that's that's always a tough game, but then it's at UNLV, at Baylor, and then KU. I think. Going on the road to face Kansas State at that point, that's going to be the toughest test they will have faced to that point in the season. So I think that sets up well for you, even though Iowa State does have a bye as well going into that game. I I certainly think that's that's the game that you can get. But also, again, I certainly can't rule out (laughs) inexplicably this group has found a way to best Lincoln Riley these last two seasons. Do they make it three in a row? Holy shit! If they do, but that I, uh, I I I would tentatively put pencil that in as an L. And then again, just and also the way the, the game that really just sticks out so vividly in my mind: Kleiman's uh, first Big Twelve contest, that road tilt at Oklahoma State, where 
Chuba Hubbard just ran for a million yards and that the Wildcats were so vastly outclassed in that game uh, that I, I know he's no longer at Oklahoma State, but man, I just, that they looked very unprepared in that contest. I'm hoping again, that's not the case, but we'll see what happens. I think that that stretch there, those first three, again, that's, I'm sorry, that's bullshit that you have to open up with the three teams that are probably going to finish in some combination of one through three, maybe one. There's the, those are certainly three of the top, probably four teams in the Big 12 this season. And why you get them all in weeks one through three in the conference slate, I don't know, but such is life. Um, now, schedule does soften up quite a bit as we come down the back half here. Next three games at Tech, TCU at home at Kansas. Almost have to go three and zero there. If you're, t- especially if you're talking about bowl game, you you have to get all three of those. Uh, K State's had great success against Texas Tech in, in in the the modern day Big Twelve. Again, only lost to the Red Raiders since we've gone to the uh, the ten team format has been the Patrick Mahomes led Texas Tech squad that beat arguably K-State's worst team of the 2-0 era in 2015. Aside from that, the Wildcats have taken the other uh, 10 meetings. So I think you're feeling pretty good about getting Tech and Lubbock. Uh, TCU at home, the TCU is getting a lot of love uh, this season. Uh, Max Duggan's coming back, uh, quarterback. There's 18 starters back for this group. You have a very proven coach, obviously, in Gary Patterson. I still feel pretty confident that K-State would find a way to win that game. The fact that it's a Manhattan makes me feel very comfortable and confident. Uh, if this game was in Fort Worth, maybe not so much, even though nobody shows up to those games for TCU, which sucks for Gary, which sucks for Gary Patterson and company, but uh, that's not my problem. Uh, but I, I, I do think K-State finds a way to go 3-0 and uh, in this stretch and, and obviously winning the game at Kansas. I most people are saying Kansas is fortunate to win one this year. And I certainly don't think it's going to be against K-State. I think the Wildcats run that winning streak to 12 games against the Hawks. Uh, Any thoughts on this next three game stretch consisting of tech on the road in Lubbock, TCU, and then at Kansas. Yeah, I'm calling three, and oh. I mean, TCU just for whatever reason doesn't scare me. And the other two, I mean, they're not going to scare us. Any of us probably until they beat us. Yeah, TCU just doesn't really feel like they really have what they used to have, you know, over the last three or four years. So, um, especially being at home, it's not. We'll see by then, obviously. We'll be deep enough into the season to really know um, what are all these teams are all about. So, you know, we'll see if all that talent is going to show through for TCU, but as of now, that doesn't scare me. Um, Tech, just a road game. Pretty much any road game that's not at KU is a little concerning, um, but I'm not too worried about it. So I also think we go 3-0 here. Yeah, I, uh, the, the Tech game, that almost feels like a game that's late enough in the season that depending on what Tech has done to that point, that could be the game that get, gets Wells fired, you know, depending on that how that year goes for them. Um, TCU at home, I feel better. Seems like a lot of our quote-unquote swing games this year are in Manhattan. Um, I will say in the two times we played Duggan, aside from that one really, really long run where we missed about 18 tackles uh, the last time we played him in Manhattan, 
he has really not impressed me all that much. So, I mean, that's great that he's back, but like he, he hasn't proven it to me yet. So, um, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about that one. And then, yeah, I mean that this ain't the year that that, that the streaks lose, that the streak is ending against KU. I mean, not in a year where they're rolling out a new coach and have basically nothing but question marks, you know, across their depth chart going into the year. No, that's there's really not much more to say about that. Three and O definitely needs to be the expectation here for sure. Yeah, Tech again, maybe maybe tricky. Uh, they've got 16 guys back. Um, but does that really matter? Texas, and I'm looking at tech schedule to this point, uh, they have to play, they open up the season against Houston in, uh, the NERG down there in H town. That's a game that they could lose. Uh, they probably beat Stephen F Austin FIU. Then at Texas, they're losing that at West Virginia. They're losing that TCU at home. That's probably a 50 50 and then they probably beat Kansas so I, I think best case scenario TCU or excuse me Tech's coming into that game at three and three but again they could very easily be two and four at that point and then you know you drop another home game you fall to two and five with a road trip at Oklahoma then Iowa State Oklahoma State after that I I think Tech's in a pretty precarious spot at that point in the season that's that's just my read on it I just I feel like we haven't really seen much from them these last couple of years under uh, under Wells uh, that just doesn't seem to be an identity I know they're excited about Tyler Shuck coming in at quarterback transferring in from Oregon but I I just don't see them making the jump from being that four and five and seven type team to being a a seven and five or eight and four type team. I I think tech probably struggles this year. And I think Matt Wells might be on his way out the door. So, um, so all that said, we come down now the home stretch uh, home games against West Virginia Baylor. And then the season wraps up with a Friday morning tilt against the Texas Longhorns. My God, if there's a team that Skyler has to beat this year, it has to be West Virginia. Uh, (laughs) He has just had his nuts kicked in by them twice uh, going back and doing those uh, the retrospective pods. I, I totally forgot about the 2017 game where he got picked off going into the end going into that south end zone. And then in 2019 got picked in the exact same spot. You know that that's probably a little extra incentive for him. And additionally, you think about what was said about Skyler after the 2018 game when Bill called him out for not being able to convert a fourth and short. Uh, Skyler's got all the motivation in the world to go out and win that game. And I think that's a game too. West Virginia um, lost a lot of playmakers, big time playmakers, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. I I think Neil Brown's a good coach. I I really don't want him around the, the big 12 much longer. I think he's bound for an sec job sooner rather than later. But I, I think this is a game, especially if you're climbing, like this is another one of those games. If you get a 50-50 game at home, you got to win the 50-50 game. Like this is, and we we talk about this. I think at this point, we're probably feeling like K-State's in that five and four, maybe six and three neighborhood by this point in the season. You got to find a way to win these last two home games against West Virginia and Baylor. I, I think that that kind of goes without saying. West Virginia and Texas are probably the two games I have circled on the season that I want to win the most. I mean, just West Virginia, just because it's been so long and same with Texas, but then obviously for Texas, for the whole 
issue going on with college football today and their uh, place in it. Um, Baylor should be a gimme. I mean, Baylor sucks. The fact that we lost to them last year was really embarrassing. Yeah, that West Virginia game. I don't. I'll be honest with you. I don't know a ton about West Virginia, but I mean they've certainly had our number. I mean they've kind of akin to what we've done to Iowa State. We seem to lose to them in the most annoying ways. Um, and you know, Jeff, you made a really good point that like Skyler's definitely coming in with an extra chip on his shoulders. So having that one at home, that's definitely one you'd love to get. Um, I agree. Not particularly concerned about Baylor. Um, and then that Texas game, boy, I really want that one. That would be a hell of a way to wrap up this year. So, um, yeah, two and one's probably more likely, but I don't think three and is completely off the table. I have no idea what to think about Texas, you know, new coach and everything. They beat us pretty good last year. They have talent like every year and it's a road game. So I really want to win that one, but I don't think we do. Um, obviously trends can change throughout the season. That's the last game of the regular season. So who knows, but, uh, that West Virginia game. Yeah. That's one. We haven't beaten them since 2015. The, uh, Moore game, I believe. And since then, I think what three of those times that we, they beat us since then, we were probably the better team should have beat them, uh, pretty easily. So that's just more of an annoying, like, you got to beat them at home. Um, Skyler's lost to them, I believe, three times, if I'm not mistaken. Um, twice at home. No. Once at home, twice on the road. Yeah. Whatever. Twice at home. Twice at home? Twice at home. God. He's been here so long, he's the third time. Yeah, he, he well, he didn't start the game, but he was in the game when we could not bring down uh, – Will Greer. Yeah. Yeah. And then he threw the pick on like the last play of the game a couple of years ago. Yeah. I said home uh, once on the road. So, yeah, that's just a game They're You know, they're kind of the afterthought of the Big 12, I feel like. But just the way it's been going, that's that's a game I really want to win. Um, should be Baylor. So, yeah, I'm thinking two and one to finish that. Texas is just who the hell knows what's, what they're going to be all about next year. Yeah, UT got a a very favorable back half of their schedule. Um, road trips, uh, the last five at Baylor, that's probably one that they grab. At Iowa State, 50-50, probably leaned toward the clones there. Then KU at West Virginia and then K-State. So, uh, and by that point, too, Texas is going to be probably, uh, obviously, significantly further along than they would be in week three so i think the fact that you drew uh, a new head coach on the last week of the regular season is again that's kind of a shit draw you know and there's nothing you can do about it um i i do think at the end of the day this this team strikes me at least for what i know of them right now uh seeing the that the over under is projected at five and a half i i certainly think this group goes over that uh, just based off of everything we know what this offense can do and the fact that the defense was so horrible last year, and, and even with the way that they played, 
Uh, and this was a the year after after giving up only 21 points per game in Kleiman's first year as head coach, they jump all the way up to 32 points per game and really just eat the curb, as we've discussed in the last five games of the season. I think if you get just a, a, a modicum of improvement uh, out of the defensive unit and just playing more buttoned up and more assignment sound, I, I don't think there's going to be a week where this group is going to be just blitz the way that they were against Iowa state. And, and granted there were, you know, multiple guys having to sit out due to COVID uh, tests and contact tracing for that game, the Texas game at the end of the season, when you have literally nobody but walk-ons to play in the secondary defense is just totally decimated. I think this defense will, you know, again, as we always say, and this goes for any team, but I think if this group stays healthy, I, I'm very excited to see where they go from week one to week 12. I, I'm There's a lot of promise on that side of the ball, and particularly in the secondary. I think there's a lot of upside there for this team. Now, let me just ask you guys, uh, what's your gut feeling just overall? How do you feel like this team is going to finish this year? What's your record prediction? I think we win eight. I also agree, or I agree with eight. Without a bowl game um, decision in there. Well, I had us at uh, 11 or 12 with Oklahoma being a toss-up game. <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good, guys. I I want to say on my high-end expectations, I think we can win 10 games. I think on my low-end, I think it's seven. So... And like I would I, be very disappointed with anything less than seven. Right. I feel like seven I would not be super thrilled with, um, but I do feel like that is kind of our possible low end. I think under anything under seven is big yikes for the season, in my opinion. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with eight. I think we can, you know, given um, – some 50-50 type plays, I think we could win 10 games. You guys are very bullish. (laughs) You guys are very bullish. I've, the more, the more I read up on this group uh, and maybe it's just the, the fact that I know that the season is just a few days away. It's, it's really getting me excited and making me optimistic and, and knowing that, you have a lot of veteran guys and people like Skyler leading the charge in the locker room. Uh, I, I think this group goes, I, I, I'm just going to tentatively pencil in, unfortunately, seven and five is my, my read on this. I, I'm just, I, I'm very anxious about the early part of the schedule just because of all those new pieces that you have to break in and make sure that they mesh together and work. Um, if, if you had, if you weren't playing Stanford at a neutral site, if you shuffled the, the schedule so you were opening up with Southern Illinois and working your way towards Stanford, again, just a lot of different things there. I, I just don't think the non-con sets up. I, I'm just very nervous about us getting through that. I, I think they do find a way to get through 3-0, but that's, again, I feel like that's me just talking myself into it. I, I, I would not be stunned at all if they, they tripped up and dropped one of those games. I, but I do think again we'll we'll see a much more buttoned up and polished product as we get through the season. It's just that that tough 
tough stretch to start off Big 12 play after what's already a very rugged non-con having to play Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State in your first three conference games. The 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 bigger challenge, at, I think, at that point might not necessarily be execution on the field. It's going to be what happens, like Kleiman said, what happens when we're confronted with adversity? How does this group react? Because they didn't do a great job of handling anything last year, both in the locker room and on the field. So now when that hits this year, how do they handle it? That's 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 the very big question for me. And I, I do think that with veteran presence, they'll find a way to bounce back if there are a couple of L's in that stretch. I'm hoping that there aren't. But that's why I just I feel like the, the early part of this season uh, is just going to be it's a big ask for this group to, to navigate that and come out five and one or even uh, four and two would be great if they came out through the first six games at four and two. I think if you do that, then you very much are in position to have an eight or nine win season uh, before a bowl game. So fingers are crossed. I love to be proven wrong on this, but my read is, is, is seven and five just based off of what I know at this point now. A couple of uh, outstanding items I just wanted to talk about before we dive in, uh, before we wrap up rather for uh, this pod. Uh, Skylar Thompson right now has 5,021 career passing yards. Josh Freeman is your all-time passing leader at 8,078 yards. So that means Skylar is going to need 3,067 yards to tie 3,000 and 68 to pass him. Do we think Skyler can do that? And also consider now that bowl game stats do count overall. Do we think Skyler has a chance to to be the school's all, all-time leading passer when it's all said and done? I think he's he's primed for a good year. I don't think he's throwing for 3,000, though. Yeah, I think he'll be a few hundred short. Um, you know, I I don't think we've seen this offense – in the way that uh, the coaches truly want it to be run. Um, So it's kind of hard to uh, really uh, put stats down for 2021 of of predictions, I guess. Um, But uh, looking at it right now, I I don't think we'll get there. I'm going to say he does. I'm probably wrong, but mark it down. I'm probably wrong, but mark it down. <laughs> I'm very confident. That's uh, words to live by there from Alex. Got a hedge bet. Two thirty-five per game. Which the other thing too, if you if you get up big in any of these games, does Skyler does Skyler have big passing numbers, or if you just what Messingham and company are probably going to want to do is just crush people running the ball. So you might not see a lot of big passing games. So I, I think what you guys are all saying is pretty accurate. I think he'll he'll come up and get you probably 2,500-ish yards this season, but I, I don't think Josh Freeman's record's going to get touched. But if it is, awesome, great for Skyler. And, and, and that being said, regardless of how the season plays out, uh, if, if Skyler does remain healthy throughout the course of the year, and does end up taking K-State to an, a respectable bowl game, if, or if he, even if he gets you to a New Year's Six. Like, how do you guys remember what Skylar Thompson was and or is and was to the program? I mean, like I said at the very beginning part of this podcast, I mean, he's had such an up-and-down career that if he goes out and has a great season, uh, then 
obviously I'll think of him very highly, but if he goes out and has a set par season, I mean, that's going to have a big impact on how I remember him. Um, you know, early in his career, he came in and he had that, um, that win against Texas Tech over time. And he had the last minute, the last second play against Iowa State to win the game. And, you know, that's just kind of the player I thought we were getting. And then he goes out and has that terrible performance in the first few series against UCLA. And that's just kind of been his career, just so up and down. And I, I, I think he's got a good chance to go down as one of the all-time greats after this season. Um, it, it's just something that, you know, hasn't been written yet. So I really can't say. Yeah, it all, it all pinpoints on this season, I think. He's either going to be a guy that is going to be remembered as, you know, one of our better quarterbacks we've ever had, or he's going to be a guy that showed promise early on and just never really quite lived up to it. So I think this season kind of determines his legacy. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because he's such a polarizing guy. Like, if you go on the boards, there are some guys who absolutely love him and some guys who absolutely hate him, you know. I don't know how it's going to unfold this year, obviously, but I will say, like, I certainly hope that he is able to, you know, make a run at Freeman's, you know, yardage record. I know he think he only needs 14 touchdowns to tie the passing touchdown record. I think he's got a realistic shot at that. It's like, statistically, he could go down and probably will go down as one of the best to ever do it at K-State. Um, but yeah, I mean, without the wins to accompany it, it's really not going to matter. So yeah, I do hope that he's able to, you know, end this thing on a high note. Now, he certainly didn't come back for a sixth year to, you know, fart out six and six or whatever. So yeah, I mean, I think, I, again, I think the sky's the limit. He's got more weapons around him now than he ever has. Um, yeah, I really, really want to see him go out on a high note. Yeah, just from a personal standpoint, I, you know, I've always been a big Skyler fan, and I, I would really like to see him, you know, have a good year and be remembered fondly. Yeah, a, a guy who who certainly deserves that, and I know, again, in talking, and since this is all so fresh, and and having us just recorded the the 2018 uh, season retrospective, like you remember how much of a cluster that was, how poorly and how grossly mismanaged the quarterback room was during that season and and even also just when you get down not even necessarily that but also when you get down to it from a play calling position how Skyler was utilized that year it just didn't really didn't play to his strengths and I I think Kleiman really going and saying day one that you're my guy you're QB1 there's no one that you don't need to look over your shoulder I think that was great and instilled a level of confidence in him that he he certainly deserved to have because I think Skyler certainly earned a lot of credibility amongst fans and leading, you know, the comeback win against Texas Tech, the comeback win against Iowa State, and he, 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 like even the South Dakota game, while that, that sucked, it certainly was not his fault that K-State was in a hole in the fourth quarter to a one A team. You can thank uh, – uh, a dumb pick six and guys dropping passes. And, and there's a lot of things. I think he's, he's, it, it's, it's unfortunate that a lot of fans have always said, give me more, give me more, give me more. And I think he's been going out and he has been delivering. I think he, and Nutter, you talked about it. I think he was really in line to have a very solid 2020 had he stayed healthy throughout the entirety of that season. And it sucked that we had to see that cut short, but I'm, I'm hoping that the, the revenge tour here does result in him not only just 
shattering a lot of records here at K-State, but also helping elevate the Wildcats and get them to a, a solid bowl game. If we find ourselves in the New Year Six conversation, I'll, I'll absolutely take it. Now, I'll move over to the running back position. Um, pro football focus, every media outlet that's out there has been very, very high on, on Deuce Vaughn. And I don't think this is the year that we see it, but if he goes off and has like a 650 rushing, 450 receiving type year, and it's just making guys look silly week in and week out, do we maybe see him start to get a little bit of smoke for the Doak Walker award next year? Or are we still, are we feeling that that awards more so for your bell cow running backs that are going to go out and just get, you know, 250 carries and 1500 yards that I, I think his versatility certainly warrants and gets him in the conversation, but I didn't, I wanted to see how you guys felt about that. I could definitely see him getting consideration as early as this year. I mean, like you said, he has been all over everyone's radar this offseason. He's on everyone's list, especially PFF. Um, you know, I don't remember ever seeing a K-State player getting this much love this early on. I mean, just thinking about our great players that have come through that uh, didn't get the love uh, during award seasons like Darren Sproles. I mean, he should have won the Doak Walker. I remember halfway through 2003, people were still calling him a Quentin Griffin type player instead of, as he should have been, like a much better version of Quentin Griffin. Uh, Tyler Lockett never seemed to get the love. He's still not getting the love he deserves in the NFL. Colin Klein, uh, you know, was kind of a boring style of player uh, when you had Manziel, who was, you know, the complete opposite of him. Um, so I just think that it's, it's kind of political. I mean, you got, you have to be kind of a media darling to get these awards unless you're just obviously so much better than anyone else. So the fact that he's getting so much attention really works in his favor. Yeah. The, the only thing that might work to his detriment, you know, aside from, you know, like you said, he's not the most outspoken guy. He's more kind of like that, that lunch pail mentality that K-State's kind of, you know, embodied. Um, is just the fact that I don't think he's going to get the touches he needs. Um, that you know, I think Jeff, you kind of hit the nail on the head. I think that that's it's going to go to the guy that you know carries the ball 200 times this season, and that's just because of the style of offense we run. That's not going to be Deuce, but that is in no way an indictment of his skills or you know what he's capable of doing. I just don't think he's going to get to do it enough. I could probably say that I have not kept track of uh, kind of the criteria and who's been winning the Doak Walker Award for quite some time. Well, Alex, let me uh, let me regale you here. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, let me go down the list of the previous Doak Walker winners. Uh, Najee Harris, Alabama, ran for 1,500 yards, 251 carries. Jonathan Taylor won it back-to-back in 19 and 18, had over 620 attempts in those two seasons, eclipsed 2,000 yards each year. Bryce Love in 2017, he also ran for over 2,000 yards. Deonta Foreman, which totally forgot about him just being a, a big bell cow for Texas, he ran for 2,028 yards. Derrick Henry, my God, 400 just shy of 400 carries, 395 attempts, 2,219 yards. So 
you're, you're, I, I get the sense that you're seeing the pattern here. <laughs> yeah. Does not bode well because he's not going to get those carries. However, you know, I, I could see, you know, just the way that football has evolved that, you know, a guy that is a kind of a dual threat run and, and catching the ball, um, as long as his production is at a certain level and his highlight reel is continuing to look like it has since last season. Uh, I could definitely see the consideration there. Um, however, you know, a lot of those, if it's if it's between him and a guy with 1,500 yards, I could see him, you know, maybe getting a nod over that. But, you know, if someone's rushing for 2,000 yards, it's going to be hard to beat that. So, You know, Alex, you, you mentioned the highlight reel. That's exactly what I was thinking. I mean, in this age of social media, um, I mean, he's going to be putting out some – He's only going to get better. I mean, he was a true freshman last year. He's he's going to continue uh, to just rack up these amazing plays, just like he did in his first year. And uh, you know, the more people see that, the more attention that's going to come to K State, and the more likely he's going to get these awards. I mean, may, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself just thinking how much of a transcendent player he can be just based off of one year. But I just, you know, I look at that guy and I think this could be an unbelievable career that he has. People love he's he's too. What was that, Alex? I said people love the little guy too. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, literally and figuratively. Um it's funny because I was just sitting here thinking like, you know, Jeff just mentioned the name Derrick Henry and like the fact that you can think about Derrick Henry standing next to Deuce Vaughn and realizing realizing those guys play the same position. That is just mind-boggling to me to think about. <laughs> oh, man. That dude is just a freaking monster. Um, here's hoping we don't have to, uh, the Chiefs don't have to see the Titans in the playoffs. That's right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to see the people who vote on that award start to take that into consideration. And again, Najee Harris, when you really look at the numbers that he put up last year, just 1,466 rushing yards. Now, granted, he had 26 total touchdowns, and, and you play for national title-winning Alabama, and that they've got Steve Sarkeesian running that, you know, ridiculous offense. That's just, and I, I mean, I get that, but also that that to me is actually one thing that weirdly gives me hope that if Deuce Vaughn does have a big type of season, it, it, man, if he comes up with a uh, I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but but a Brian Westbrook type year, uh, that really versatile back that uh, Andy Reid used for the Eagles way back in the early 2000s, like a guy who's catching, you know, six, seven hundred yards worth of passes, running for 700, 800 yards. I think Deuce Vaughn could find himself in the conversation. Will he get the touches or will he be that explosive or explosive enough with the limited touches that he does have? Who's to say? I think we all have said we're, we're very bullish on this offensive line. I think there's a lot of a lot of heat there and a, a lot of reasons to be optimistic that Deuce Vaughn can uh, get himself in the conversation. Like I said, I, I don't know if it's this year, but I think he's definitely going to find himself uh, as one of the front runners for it going into his junior year. Now, a couple more macro questions and then we'll wrap this thing up. Uh, we talked about all the units. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys, which unit do you feel is poised to take the biggest step forward this season? I say wide receiver because they have, you know, 
such a gap between where they've been the last few years and where their potential could lead them. So should have gone before Alex. Cause I mean, just by virtue of having, you know, a, a better, a veteran guy to get him the ball and an improved offensive line. I definitely think, yeah, that's the, the, the biggest step to be taken is by the receiver group. That was also going to be mine. I mean, I assume we're not considering quarterback in there. That's obviously going to take a big step forward, but, um, the, I think the defensive backs is the other obvious answer there. Um, just bringing in an NFL talent with Julius Brents is, you know, obviously just going to up the quality of play. And uh, Clint, I was actually thinking along the same lines as you. I, I think very valid perspective on the wide receivers in that they're just – it's been very lean in that room over the last several years. There just hasn't been a lot of playmakers in there beyond Malik Knowles and Malik Knowles, unfortunately to this point in his career has been very, let's say uh, inconsistent as far as uh, health is concerned. I think you have personnel in there now with guys like Tyrone Hal, Jalen Travis, um, Keenan Garber. I think there's a lot of guys that are poised to, to, find themselves in not only in the two deep, but find themselves on the field with the ability to make some plays. And I, I think that this, this group has definitely taken a step forward, but I honestly think just with the way that the defense cratered last season, it's, it's really almost a question of what do you feel like was worst for this team in that final five game stretch? Was it the wide receiver group or was it the secondary? And in my mind, I just remember the defense just eating the freaking curb in the last five games of that season. So I think with that all being said, I think the defense is uh, the secondary is going to be the unit that takes the step forward. Uh, you, you talked about it, bringing in an NFL talent and Julius Brands. And I don't sleep on guys like Echo Boydo, Justin Gardner. There are plenty of names on the back end for the secondary. And I think this is going to be one of the better units by the time we get to the end of the season. Again, probably going to be some growing pains in those first couple of games. But I think by uh, by the end of the year, we'll be singing a much different tune as far as the secondary is concerned. Now, um, always a fun seg uh, segment here. Who is your hashtag my guy for 2021? And you only get to pick one. I'll do, uh, let's say this one on each side of the ball. Anybody not allowed? <laughs> no deuce. No Skyler. No Skyler, no deuce. I'll go Malik Knowles and Khalid Duke. Okay. They like those guys. Go for it, Nutter. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll buy the hype on Joe Irvin. And you're going to have conviction, Justin. <laughs> yeah. Give me Brent. Jeff, you go first. I, I, I'm not going to be able to contain myself to one person. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine. Uh, defensively, it's Jerron McPherson. I think he's poised to be a first-team All-Big 12 kind of guy. He was the leading tackler on this squad a season ago with 54 stops, two and a half tackles for loss, two INTs. Looking forward to seeing big things from him and some more big hits from him this fall. Offensively, I really want this to be true, but Jacardier Wright is the guy I want to see emerge in the running back room. And if he can supplant Joe Irvin and become 
the number two back. I think that's even better news for K-State. Again, having that compliment, and Nutter, you touched on it a little bit earlier, the thunder and lightning effect with, with Deuce and then bringing in a guy who's six foot and 230 pounds. I don't think you can really qualify or quantify how valuable that would be and to potentially have those two in the backfield simultaneously. I think if Wright comes through and, and even if he gives you 400 to 500 yards this season, that's a huge, huge win for this offense. We've talked about it. We've got very high expectations of the offensive line this year with, with five guys coming back with starting experience. But at this point in his career, he's reached put up or shut up time. And honestly, with the level of experience coming back on the offensive line, the fact that you'll have an experienced quarterback back under center, there's going to be a lot less pressure and a lot less focus on Jacardier Wright. He's not going to be at the top of any scouting reports. It's time for him to come and break through. There's not going to really be any better time in his career to do so. So give me Jacardier Wright as my offensive hashtag my guy. Yeah, I have high hopes for Jacardier too. Um, so my long-term guys, guys I've considered my guys for a long time, Malik Knowles and uh, Jerron McPherson. Uh, we've talked about those guys a lot, so I won't go too much into them. Uh, on offense, man, Sammy Wheeler, I keep waiting for him to have his big breakout year. Uh, I feel like he's there. He just can't stay healthy. Um, you know, he's going to have to wait one more year before he's the guy at tight end with a matter baby, uh, there. But, uh, I mean, he's, he's not huge. He's probably not going to play tight end in the NFL ever. Um, uh, but I think he's going to be a huge asset to K-State, whether it's lining up a tight end or splitting out wide. Uh, on defense, I really love T.J. Smith. I love the way he plays the game. He's he's a throwback, old-school type of hitter. And, I mean, he only had one game where he really got a ton of playing time, but he was able to avoid uh, any even really being close to targeting, I think. And uh, if you can bring that kind of pain with your hits and not get thrown out of the game, obviously that's a recipe for a really good defensive player. I'm also really high on T. Denson. I don't think we've talked about him too much this pod. I think he's actually past Justin Gardner, if you believe what uh, they showed at the open practice. He was getting uh, some runs ahead of uh, Gardner there, who had a pretty good year this past year. Uh, the last guy I want to talk about, again, is Felix Anudike, uh, a guy that I uh, I just looked up some old videos of him the other day in high school, where he's as tall as he is now, but probably maybe 180 pounds. So he put on a ton of good weight over this past couple of years, which is, you know, I think a main reason why he was under recruited is because he was so slight back then. Um, so the guys kept his athleticism and I still think he's going to be playing in the NFL one day. That's who I got. You sure you don't want three or four more? Okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm going to add uh, uh, baby to my, my guy list. He needs some love. Okay. So I do help. think I was going to say, I do think either he or Wheeler will have a big year. I, I don't think we're, we're going to get big numbers out of both of them, but I think one of those two will definitely emerge as a, as a potential all big 12 candidate at tight end. I'm very excited to see what those guys can do this year. All right. Now uh, I think this is a good question to kind of put the bow on everything we've talked about. 
all the position groups. We've broken down the schedule, what we feel like this team's going to do this year. Now let's talk very big macro question. How do we feel about climbing overall program trajectory right now? I, I think we talked about last year kind of being a mulligan year. And, and it's one of those things that I would love to say, like it's, it's one of those where it doesn't count, but it does count. Um, how are we, how are you guys all feeling collectively about where we're heading under his direction? I feel like they've done about as good as they could in this off season to make, you know, to kind of, um, you know, make, make me feel calmer and better about the program. Uh, but at the same time, you know, ask me this, ask me the question at the end of the year, cause that's really what's going to answer that question for me. So I think it's a big, a big, I don't, maybe not make or break year, but it's pretty close to it. So. Yeah. If you would have asked me this question last December, I would have had a much, much different answer. But like I said, having had some time to like actually take a step back and realize that this last season was really kind of an anomaly. I'm, I'm not terribly concerned about it, but I mean, to Alex's point, you know, that could change a lot over the next three months too. But yeah, no, I mean, I don't think hot seats are, you know, it, it, nothing like that's being kicked around right now, but like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I think all the pieces are in place to, to take a pretty considerable step forward, but they still got to go out and do it. It's not a make or break year, but this might be their best chance with the roster that they have over the next couple of years. I mean, just having a sixth year senior quarterback. Um, I mean, you're not going to get any experience like that until a few years from now. Um, you know, you might lose Julius Brents, Malik Knowles to the draft if they have big years. Um, you know, they talk about how much they love having Noah Johnson in there at center. You'd lose his experience after this year. And then pretty much all those transfers that came in are only going to be one year players. Um, so if it doesn't happen this year, have a great year, then you might be looking at a couple more years before you can get back to the talent level we have now. But, um, I, I think he's doing good. I, I like him. I, was very concerned about last year, but you know, there's so many circumstances that were outside of his control that you do have to kind of give him a pass. Um, if, if this year does not go well, then I will probably have soured on climbing. Most people falling into that same camp and Clint, you most K state fans are likely falling into that same camp. And Clint, you do bring up a very salient point there in that, the roster construction is probably being undersold by a lot of people. There have been some vocal fans on boards and in, on Twitter about recruiting and whether or not this staff is living up to any sort of billing that, you know, insert Joe Schmo fan here had for them. But I really do think this coaching staff did a very respectable job in bringing in some high-level transfers, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, to fill the void left by guys who either exhausted their eligibility or all the attrition that we saw, particularly in the secondary. I, I know there's some questions surrounding how those new pieces are going to integrate, but I do feel that the defense as a whole will be getting back to form to what we saw when Scotty Hazleton was calling 
the defense back in Kleiman's first year as head coach. I don't want to give Klanderman a total mulligan here, but I do think that what was occurring in the locker room and the attrition that we saw, that was largely out of his control. And, and again, we, we know the player who was being very vocal and in, in, in trying to convince guys that, again, the grass was greener on the other side and trying to get players to get out of K-State and go to the transfer portal. I, I think now that you've cut out the cancerous personality, I think the defense to a man is going to all be pulling in the same direction now. So while this might not be the best scoring defense in the be- the Big 12, it might not be the highest pass efficiency defense, I think week by week we're going to come away feeling impressed with the effort that we saw out of the guys as opposed to last year where it became very apparent that certain position groups had just phoned it in. Uh, some of the, and again, some of that was a byproduct of all the defections and just having to play walk-ons in, in, in high level big 12 play. There, there were a lot of reasons why the defense crashed and burned the way that it did. But I do think all of that is a, a thing of the past now, as far as the offense is concerned, I really have no major concerns beyond just the overall health uh, of that group. Uh, and again, questions surrounding, can Malik Knoll stay healthy for a 12-game regular season? Can Deuce Vaughn, if he does get the increased workload that Chris Kleiman alluded to in, during Big 12 media days, I think that's a lot of lip service, but can Deuce Vaughn hold up if he does end up getting 25, 30 touches a game? There's some questions there about whether or not those guys can stay healthy, but I do think that, again, some of those holes in the wide receiver core uh, and the the vacancy left at tight end by Briley Moore, again, addressed very nicely in the transfer market during the offseason. And I do think with having Skyler back, I, I just feel so much more at ease and so much more confident that this offense is going to even on its worst days, be able to manufacture yards and points. And, and we're not just going to be, again, that that machine that was going three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. It seemingly every series when, when Will Howard was quarterbacking last season. Again, I don't want to place all the blame on his shoulders. He was dealt a very shitty hand. And I know he was going out there and giving it his best effort, but there, there wasn't a lot surrounding him. We've already touched on that multiple times during this this pod so uh, I want again put that in the rear view I'm very confident in this offense and I think with the replacements that have been identified at the tight end spot I think with some of the new talent that's coming in at wide receiver the the opportunity is there for for Skyler to help this group ascend to a level we haven't seen in many years and I'm talking about again being the type of offense that has the capability to run for 200 and pass for 200 every given Saturday. I I really do believe that that is on the table for this group. And and if they can hit that ceiling there, there is reason to believe that this team could be in the conversation for a big 12 title come late November. We talked about the non-con it's going to be very tricky to navigate, but I do think again, you're going to have to put a lot on Skyler's shoulders, but I do think he can help this team get through that first three-game stretch with a 3-0 and mark. Now, then it becomes a question of, can you pop Oklahoma State in Stillwater? Can you find a way to upend Oklahoma for a third consecutive year? 
those are the big questions. And, and I think if Kansas State does find a way in that first three game conference stretch of Big 12 play where it's Oklahoma State, Oklahoma and Iowa State, if you somehow, some way manage to get through there two and one and you're sitting at five and one overall, we talked about it. This schedule softens up tremendously in the latter half of the season. And all those swing games, you have Baylor, TCU, West Virginia, all have to come to Manhattan. Your road tilt is at Kansas. Like you've, There's opportunity there for this to be a very good season, but it's really all going to be driven on how this team comes out out of the gate. And that's where we're going to look to those those senior leaders. We're going to look to Skyler. You're going to look to Noah Johnson. You're going to look to Jerron McPherson. A lot of guys are going to be expected to step up and help this team navigate through that tough part of the non-con. But I am getting more and more bullish by the day. Maybe it's the fact that the season is is just a handful of days away. But I really am starting to believe that this team might very well surpass my expectations of 7-5. and five. I certainly hope that's the case. Very much looking forward to getting the 2021 season kicked off bright and early, 11 a.m., Fox Sports 1. I've got some thoughts about that, but we've been at this for damn near three hours here, guys. So I think it is good to go ahead and wrap up and call it a day here. So if you've stuck with us this long, again, we so greatly appreciate you listening to us. Thank you so much for for taking the time out to download. Please go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on Spotify. Please give us a review if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts. Again, we're all blue chips here, so five stars. And if you haven't had a chance to already, follow us on Twitter. It's college underscore Kimball, and you'll find each of our individual Twitter handles linked out on the main College and Kimball Twitter account page. So with all of that being said, guys, we are getting so close, days away from the college football season starting in earnest I cannot wait for it. Looking forward to getting the Stanford game preview uh, pushed out here in the next couple of days. So put that little carrot out there to our listeners. Can't wait to go through this 2021 season with everybody. Very much looking forward to it. And we'll wrap it up as we always do. Cats, man. If you know, you know. (laughs) 